Hello and welcome to Lords of Pain Radio Aftershock for AEW Double or Nothing 2020. The wait, I've written an intro for this. The we're immediately live following AEW's second pay per view of the year, the second annual Double or Nothing pay per view, kicking off AEW's second year of existence in style. And I am joined today by a second man in Jan Man that will be doing uh, Double or Nothing 2020. Literally just finished watching it. It's 5am, I'm allowed to forget words, but introducing Jan from Dynamite After Dark from Kinem of Honor is joining me today for this Aftershock. Welcome, Jan. Thank you. Yeah, we did the first, what, three of these together, and then mm. I, think, I think the last couple you did by yourself, so. Yeah, it's... But here we are, here we are back together, because I just can't afford $50 every three months for a pay-per-view, but tonight mm. I thought I would, with the all the COVID stuff going on, I haven't been paying for much for gas and all that kind of jazz, <laughs> so I... So I had the money at the bank this time around. So I, I was checking that I wasn't muted for all that. A good professional imp. Let's <laughs> check <checking> that. <laughs> uh, but yes, no, uh, I could I could hear you just fine. So <laughs> that's good. I have done it, but I've done twenty minutes live before, and then somebody was just, um, I think it was me, me and Burn, and then just somebody was just like, by the way, guys, uh, can't hear you, imp. <laughs> I was like, oh great. <laughs> that's that I I was muted yeah. for the first twenty minutes. <laughs> so. Yeah, especially with Spreaker, it was easy to it was easy to have like mm. weird technical glitches because <laughs> we we would do entire shows where I didn't have Jeff on the right audio setting, and so um, they could hear me, and then they could like barely hear Jeff from what was coming through my speakers. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's just, just technical glitches all over the place. Uh, tonight we're just live on YouTube. Then whenever it finishes uh, rendering on YouTube, which seems to be taking quite a long time this week. Uh, whenever that's finished, it'll go up on Red Circle as a podcast. So unfortunately, it can't go out too quickly as a podcast, which sucks, but that's the reality of it. Uh, I could record it as Audacity and whatnot, but when I finish this show, it's likely to be close to like 7 in the morning or something ridiculous. <laughs> I'm going to be tired. <laughs> I'm ready for bed. I'm not editing a show. <laughs> anyway, uh, we've just finished watching uh, AEW Double or Nothing uh, with the Stadium Stampede match to close it all out. And uh, as of late, kind of the uh, the order of kind of running for these aftershocks has been like our overall feelings, and then we'll go into like the big matches on the show, and then just work our way down the card for the rest of it. Uh, so first of all, Jan, your feelings on Double or Nothing after it's finished only like fifteen minutes ago? What are your immediate feelings on the show? Uh, my many feelings on the show were that the last three matches saved this card from being an absolute disaster. I, I, I was really bored with it the, the entire way through, and a lot, of, and 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 honestly, I mean, I realized that probably, there's probably a lot of people that were excited about that first match, and and that latter match was good, but but I have been really down on Brian Cage for 13 months now or so, and so for him to for him to to be the big surprise and to win and to win the um, oh, what are they calling it the uh, whatever that ladder match was. Um, Oh, the casino yeah, ladder thing. The casino, yeah. yeah, the casino ladder, the casino ladder match, that really started my night off to a weird start. And then, and then uh, the other thing that started that happened was that BR Live was really glitchy uh-huh. when the f- show first started. And so Jeff texted me and said, "Well, you could watch the pre-show on YouTube." So I tried doing that, but at the same time, I was trying to mess with BR Live and try to get that on. But so for me, like, to, like to really get into the swing of things, it was it was the Sheeta um, Nyla Rose match that really got. That really, to me, turned the show around. So, yeah. Like, how about uh, you? How about you, Em? Well, it does like 
Okay, okay, go down the exact same checklist, <laughs> just like the mirror. Uh, for me, I've not actually watched Brian Cage properly since, I guess, Lucha Underground? It's been on and off since then. So I've had his immediate, like, I've seen his, like, slow rise on the indies and then amazing impact on Lucha Underground and then just sprinklings afterwards. So my sure. uh, kind of uh, feelings towards Brian Cage are pretty much still cemented in Lucha Underground. So obviously, because that show was so good at building characters and uh, show, playing everyone off to their strengths, I really, really highly rate, highly rate that man. Uh, I've not seen his TNA work that much. So like his recent stuff, I don't really know. Um, I just know in Lucha Underground, he was incredibly impressive. And uh, seeing people's like immediate reactions who've never seen him before... Just as like, oh, oh, wow! He's not just huge; he's also incredibly athletic. It's like, yeah, that's <laughs> that's his thing. Really, he's this incredibly jacked guy. It was like when I saw him come out, I was like, you know what? Him and Luchasaurus, yes, please. <laughs> Two big lads. <laughs> Two big lads who do lots of kicks. They can also do the athletic stuff as well. It's like, yeah, it's, they're like a perfect match for each other. To be fair, they were both yeah. in Lucha Underground. <laughs> so yeah, you know, I, yeah. you know, I, sh- I should clarify that. I mean, Brian Cage is an is an amazing athlete. I love watching him in the ring mm. for for the most part. It's it's that you know he, he was such a lame duck champion at Impact, and it's, and I felt like he kind of held the company hostage mm. as the champion when he like when he when he went on his on his big marriage thing, and you know he was off for like four, off TV for like four months, getting married and having a honeymoon and all that bullshit that goes with it, I suppose. Um, and then he, and then he like his contract expired, and he, he kind of like held up the company, like trying to decide what he was going to do. Where you know, was he going to leave? Was he going to stay? And it just it cast like a whole pall, a big pall for me over over him the last around a year, I guess. Uh, so I, I guess I'm in a yeah. bit of a benefit of being just completely detached from anything that happened in that world. I don't know. I really don't know anything actually. Uh, I'm surprised yeah. I've not seen anything to do with that. I've, uh, I guess I've been in my Japanese bubble. <laughs> it's the look of it. <laughs> the look of. I Japan wish we Japan. still. I wish we were still able to do that right now, man. But we can't. Mm. We can't be in the Japanese bubble right now. Uh, I'm, I'm guesting on uh, keeping it strong styles uh, podcast uh, in a in June at some point. So awesome. I get to jump back into the New Japan world in a couple of weeks. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to that. I've I've really been distant from it. Of, uh, it, it, yeah, it sucks. <laughs> it's like if we don't have that one it, it's, um, it's it's like over here there's talk of football coming back and I've got resentment to watching it just because of everything and the fact that even when they return it's not safe so then returning I've got a bit of resentment of getting back into football and wrestling is a similar thing Like I don't know if I would have stuck with it if I didn't cover it for Lords of Pain slash wrestling headlines Like if I didn't have that kind of pushing me where it's kind of like, well, you still got your weekly stuff to do. What are you going to do if you don't watch anything? Ah, good point. <laughs> still got Aftershock. Ah, oh, damn it. <laughs> yes. So <laughs> that's kind of, that's taking the choice away in a way. And that I feel like that's helped. I've actively, even though I'm doing all that, I have stopped watching Raw and SmackDown to like, maybe I'll watch one a month. So I know what on earth's going on. <laughs> Come a baby view. AW, uh, I feel like I can watch their shows though. There's, I feel like the live crowd there really helps. They've got the massive benefit of filming outside so they can do more stuff with the location. I feel like that's been like the biggest lesson here. Uh, in the lockdown world, if you record on a location like they do, you've got so much more to play with and they're reaping all of the benefits from that. And uh, this show was another one. It felt like there was more people ringside at Double or Nothing than there was at any of the TV recordings. Uh, either that or... 
the people they got, they were like, be more active, it's a pay-per-view. <laughs> so it really felt like the people, you felt like there was a mini crowd there. Like it was a light indie crowd that turned out and were having a whale of a time. <laughs> like they all enjoyed the show. Uh, which is the, I guess, the other benefit of every fan being uh, also an employee. <laughs> it's just the, <laughs> like if you've um, ever watched the Xbox or Microsoft um, press conferences at places like E3 or the different games conferences and things, where it's got rows of employees, and when this like uh, and out comes, I've forgotten his name, but Phil Spencer, or whatever his name is, and everyone goes, "Oh my God, his name is crazy! Woo, we love you!" This is like, uh, and the guy's pointing like, "Hey, I love you too." But it's like a skit from Silicon Valley because just it's just like, "Yeah, I love you." Like, I love you, Phil. It's like you're an employee. <laughs> it's not genuine love. <laughs> it's not right. Uh, it's not the same as a love as a fan. Where you're like when it comes across more as kissing ass than it does being somebody of adoring, <laughs> just looking at you know, in a shining light. Yeah, but but yeah, uh, AW they've got that sense of fun, and I really feel like the crowd, as to that, calling them a crowd, <laughs> the sprinkling of employees at ringside, I feel like that really adds. Um, Billy Gunn's son, who's become a mainstay, <laughs> seemingly this time. It was full of Mardi Gras, kind of uh, covered in, like he'd had a party that day. And uh, that, that has added an energy to the proceedings on the right-hand side as well. Uh, yeah, there's little yeah, additions yeah, like yeah, yeah, I was wondering if, I was wondering if like, he was dressed up like, uh, and he and, Pete, he and, Pete, he and uh, Pineapple Pete were going to be the, like, a tag team coming up because they were all kind of like, in sync tonight. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I... I, yeah, it, it's part. It's sort of like little production critiques. Like the, it's the difference of um, when you watch Raw or WWE pay per view, you were, you hear the silence. Whilst in AEW, partly because it's outside, partly because of the way it's shot, the way it's filmed, partly because the style of wrestling is less hit move pose. Ooh, look at me, I'm good, and then do the next move. Like AEW, it's a lot more tied to how I guess the how wrestling worked on the indie scene over these last few years is a lot more tied to that and that's uh, like with New Japan Pro Wrestling I was, we already brought them up, might as well bring them back there was talks about them starting up whenever the government says it's fine to do it and the thought was they still do it in, with no crowd but theirs is more sports centric so there wouldn't there, there likely might be a chance where that's not as jarring as watching WWE which is so the style is so reliant on a crowd reaction to a thing happening where it's hit move, get reaction, pose, get a second reaction, go for the next thing. Well, so if you do a more sports-like style, you don't, you're not ever posing for the crowd, so that's never an issue. AEW is like a in-between thing, which is kind of what the indie scene became, where it is that weird in-between where you still got that showman stuff in there, but you've also got a slightly more focused look on the contest itself. And I feel like uh, that was something which really helped them in the main event in the Stadium Stampede, where even though they were doing ridiculous stuff, it never really drifted away from the core point of the match, where it was them just brawling and beating each other up. It never really drifted from that. And I feel right. like that's where WWE have gone a little bit wrong with, uh, I guess, the Money in the Bank one was a big example, where they would do a skit that would be funny but didn't tie to the match at all. It just happened, and it was weird sometimes. It's <laughs> just badly edited or whatever. But I feel like it, the core focus was never drifted in that mental main event. <laughs> it was fun, but yeah. Um, but overall, it was for me. It was a fun pay per view. 
and it filled the Saturday night void with uh, with it, like the empty crowds and things. I is what it's weird where for me I thought the first few couple of matches were maybe a little bit messy, but I found them fun. So like I'm never going to rate them higher than three stars, but in terms of am I enjoying the show? Yeah, I'm enjoying it. It's fine. I thought MJF Jungle Boy was an amazing display of the future. Obviously not at the future now, but it felt like match one in what could become like a decade rivalry down the line as they get better and better and better. Obviously now they're mm-hmm. in their early 20s. It's impressive they're at the state they're at now, at how young they are. And if they're getting this level of, I guess, not just exposure, but experience at that age and they're this good already. It's like, yeah, first match in a 10-year feud. Perfectly fine. It's like second match on the card. <laughs> just like in five years' time, just imagining how great they could be if they're this good already. Um, yeah, and I do kind of agree. It took a turn at the women's title match where suddenly it was just a jolt of quality into the entire show. Like, like I was saying with the ladder match where it was, I mean, it was fun, it was entertaining, but it was also messy at times. And part for me personally, I didn't mind that because it was still fun and entertaining. That was, that was the thing I was looking for the most with that one. Did I enjoy myself with this silly nonsense? The answer was yes. But by the time the women's match came up, the matches themselves had such strong quality that I was just drawn into everything they were doing for all three of the final matches. And uh, yeah, Roshida for me was the in-ring match of the night. It just stole the show for me. I say in-ring, they had a massive brawl at ringside as well. <laughs> to be fair, all three matches we're talking about, all three of them were had massive brawls in them. <laughs> but they were... <laughs> they they were, did, yeah, they had, At the end of the matches, they worked really well. It was like the perfect thing to do, and it fit the, I guess, the mood of everybody today. Uh, the, those last three matches were perfect, whilst Cody Lance Archer was like the exact opposite, really. Just because uh, there's a lot of, I guess, sad anger in the air. And just seeing that anger taken out in those last three matches was just like, it was it was cathartic. It was nice. <laughs> it was just kind of like, yes, yes, she did. Get that kendo stick and just beat the crap out of Nyla Rose. <laughs> I'm like, yes, it was. I like that. It's like a nice release. Um, yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. You know, yeah. I, you know, I said I said this week on Dynamite that that this was the third straight week and dynamite that the women have stolen the show. And I feel like, and I, and I agree. So I, to, and I totally agree with you about tonight's show too, is that, um, Sheeta and, and Nyla Rose had the best in ring match on the card tonight. Absolutely. They were fantastic. They were, they hit everything perfectly. Um, the story was great. The drama was great. Um, you know, just when you, just when it looked like Sheeta had, had fired her last shot and had, and had nothing left for Rose, there she comes back again. And it, and it was back and forth those last five minutes so much that you had no idea who was going to pull it out. Mm. You know? Yeah. So. Yeah. And all three of those final matches ended in the right way as well. And uh, like Ikarushida, they did a very good job during the match as well. If you weren't convinced by the end of it, you were convinced that really... Uh, for me, the best matches, it can be either person can win. Where I got yep. that feeling where they built it up, either woman could have won there, and I wouldn't have minded even though the atmosphere was screaming for Shida, <laughs> even though the moment was screaming for Shida, still, they'd done it well enough when it could have been either woman, and I still don't think I would have minded. Obviously, I can't say, because Nyla Rose didn't win, so who knows, but my gut feeling I, is the match was so good that I would have been fine if Nyla Rose would have won. Uh, 
But they did such I would, a good I would, job. I would, have been slight, I would have been slightly disappointed, but I would, would, would have got over it very quickly, I oh, think. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good way to explain it. <laughs> like, if you've enjoyed something so much and there's like one note at the end, it's like, oh, maybe that one note wasn't played to perfection, but the rest of the journey was so good, I don't really care. <laughs> it's just, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, John Moxley, Brody Lee, I kind of, I guess turned it a bit more title match serious with their brawl, which was, it was a, it's a full-on Moxley brawl around Rick's ringside, and Brody Lee was uh, happy to sacrifice his body to the pain of whatever Mox was coming up with as well. Uh, the big spot being them doing the ECW ramp thing. I, I call it the ECW ramp thing, that's just the first time I saw it, where it was Bam Bigelow versus... ECW was it Taz? I want to say Taz. It was it was Taz. Yeah, yeah. I say it got him wrapped round him, and then they just fall through the ramp, and the crowd go crazy, and uh, they did that. No, well, they went through the ramp. It wasn't the same spot because uh, John Moxley hit a paradigm shift, and they went through the ramp, and then the whole point was then that gives Brody Lee a bit of time to uh, do a little blade job. Comes up with uh, blood down his face, and uh, just to add to that match because we hadn't seen blood. And everybody who had had on their cards for Cody to bleed, oh, you were wrong. <laughs> Cody did not bleed on this night. <laughs> uh, I mean, if you bet for blood on double or nothing, you still won. But it wasn't the match you'd think it would be. Like, no. <laughs> it was uh, uh, Moxley versus Brody Lee. Um, to be fair, when we saw no disqualification, Moxley versus Brody Lee, I'm assuming there was uh, quite a wide thought that there would be blood in that one. <laughs> Just because it's those two. And... Uh, where their history together was, wasn't exactly the pe- land of the peaceful happy times. <laughs> it's uh, As in before no? WWE, before they got hired there, in their CZW days. Uh, yes. I've drifted a little bit. <laughs> I just realised. Yeah. That's okay, no problem. Anyway, so the... Um, uh, actually, no, you speak first as I drink some tea. No, I, I, I totally agree with you, man. The, the, I was... That, uh, that spot at the end, I, you know, in that Moxley... Um, Lee match, I, I like saw them go through the go through the floor, and I was like, and then I saw like the wood like popping up and sticking out, and I was like, oh man, that's kind of <laughs> dangerous, you know. I mean, I mean, yeah, we've seen spots like that before, but never with like, you know, you actually see like the debris kind of sticking mm. out there, and I was like, I hope they didn't like like hit that stuff really hard and hurt themselves, you know. But I mean, it was probably like pine or some other soft wood anyway, but you know, it was it still like looked, I thought it had like a great dangerous look to it. Mm. And then when Lee comes out bleeding, um, when I, I actually when Moxie came out first, I was like, I wonder if like Lee's gonna climb to the other like climb out the other side of the ring and then get Mox that way. But nope, he he came up shortly after him, like you said, bleeding. Didn't get any any more offense in. Like you know, it mm. was it was the paradigm shift by Mox, one count paradigm shift by Mox, two count, and then he finally had to choke him out in order to beat him. But yeah, I mean that was a really really great visual at the end and a great storytelling. Because I think um, the thing I really liked about the ending of that one was even though Bodie Lee didn't get anything afterwards, he didn't take a pin and he he was blatantly, uh, the story was he was blatantly groggy after that paradigm shift on the ramp. He was never back in the match, but he also, John Cena never gave up. <laughs> he was kicking out of everything and the only time that he, the only way Moxie finally got rid of him was again, after beating the crap out of him, hitting two paradigm shifts with elbows and punches to the forehead in between, uh, and then he just choked him out. And it's when he choked him out that uh, Brody Lee was unable to lift his arm back up. 
and that's how he wins. And that protects both of them a hell of a lot. Because like beforehand, you see on Twitter the sentence of, "Oh, if Brody Lee loses, that's mean he's done, right?" And I can't remember who it was. I want to say it was uh, Sean Rossap of Fightful that's making an awesome point where because AEW have set up the fact that uh, just sudden clean wins and losses happen, that they do happen, there's no BS disqualification or random rules popping out of nowhere to try and protect everybody or shenanigans. Most of the time, it's just a straight-up clean loss, and they happen. Suddenly, that gives a lot of weight to when those quick clean wins and losses actually do happen. It doesn't destroy a character when it happens suddenly because they happen a lot more regularly. Compared to WWE, where if you get a definitive finish, that can then derail a character just because of how rare it is to have a definitive finish at like a high level like this. So Brody Lee losing wouldn't have been for me. It wouldn't have been like a character breaking thing like it could have been elsewhere because of how the world is set up. However, the way they did it was way better than the potentials I had in my head because Brody Lee didn't give up. He did kick out every single time. He just eventually, who got not groggy, was able to kick out even when groggy. And then even under those circumstances, he was able to just keep going until he was choked out of oxygen. Which is <laughs> like, that, that's a perfectly respectable way to not win a match. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, he didn't have any oxygen anymore. That's totally understandable. <laughs> that's fine, Brody Lee. Yeah, yeah he, did, he wasn't pinned, he wasn't tapped out, he just, he couldn't move. Mm. He couldn't get up. Um, yeah, and, and like, to, to solidify your point, you know, I... The you know the announcers were commentators were talking about you know how in that match and I think also in the women's title match about how the referee was in their was would be within their power to end the match by counter or end the match by disqualification but you know we don't want to see that in a title match and I and if I'm not mistaken there's only been one disqualification in the history of AEW so far and that was in the Iron Man match between mm. Page and um, uh, pack, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, um, not Page, um, Omega and Pack, and there's not been a countout yet in AEW. So yeah, I mean, so the, so like you said, I mean, they they're very solid on their pins and submissions as the way that those matches end. Mm. They don't they don't use the the cheap countout or the cheap disqualification to keep a feud going. Uh, yeah, yeah, the countout's another one that you see all the time elsewhere, but over here you don't like New Japan as well. Um, like when somebody comes from AEW. One of the big criticisms is the inconsistency in the count sometimes, where they'll be out ages or they won't start until something, or the referee will go with them so he's not really counting, even though there's a massive ball going on. But it, it does add to that kind of thing where, what, do you want a count out victory? But it's it's, it's a weird thing where it's um, how wrestling, how you'd want wrestling to work, kind of being hit by the wall of, but the rules! <laughs> it doesn't make sense. <laughs> the rules don't work. <laughs> Uh, I don't know, I'm somebody who's perfectly able to let stuff slide. I don't like rigid rules not allowing you to do things. And I think a mistake AEW kind of created was, in their early days, setting rules, or saying they're going to set these rules and this is what the rules will be. And it was very evident that they didn't really want to strictly stick to them, even though there was that talk of, oh, we could uh, we'll do these rules, these rules will be different, we'll have this much time with the tag matches. Even though, like, towards the end of the match, you got everybody in anyway, regardless of the count. <laughs> like, it doesn't really matter. Like, uh, in terms of yeah, yeah, you, yeah, you know, I mean, I really don't, under, I really don't know soccer rules, so I'm, I'm, I apologize for that. <laughs> if I, these analogies aren't going to make any sense to you, but I mean, I've always felt like 
there should be discretion in pro wrestling because there isn't every other sport. You know, there mm. is in boxing, which is another combat sport. There is in baseball, like for the strike zones and things like that. You know, there is for football where, you know, referees can choose to call holding or not. So, I mean, I don't understand why in wrestling they wouldn't be able to just say, okay, so I'm going to make the determination of when I'm going to start making the count. Mm. And in New, and, and like you said, like New Japan, which is which is really heavily, I think, what, a, what AEW is based on, at least as far as their interpretation of how wrestling should be, is, you know, you know Red Shoes or whoever will, will go, or Marty, Marty Asami will, you know, they'll go out there and they'll be, you know, they'll, they'll warn the wrestlers first and then they'll get in the ring and they'll, they'll start their count. So it isn't like, you know, they're, they're quick to just start a count every time a wrestler goes out of the ring, hmm. you know. Yeah, like every referee has their own personalities and their own discretions. And, exactly. Yeah, and that gives them fleshed out world as well. Like, because that's the number one thing that kind of hit when AW started was these referees weren't interchangeable robots. They did have personalities, and and then Aubrey Edwards has generated a massive fan base. Where you can't picture Mike Chioda developing a massive fan base because <laughs> of the referee <laughs> style. Like, no, but yeah. Charles Robinson did for a while. Oh. But was that in WWE? No. That was WCW, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Point to <of> proven. <laughs> yeah. oh. Even Rudy Charles, he developed a bit of a fandom in TNA because he was perfectly fine to do all of the goofy stuff. I thought it was great in TNA. <laughs> Just, yeah. uh, now he's... Well, massive tangent talking about favourite referees. <laughs> Not going well. Um, but yeah, so it's just the... It does those little rule discretions... I'm perfectly fine to let things slide. In terms of the best, for me, it's the if the wrestling story and narrative being told. For me, that's more important than realistically trying to stick to rules. And if the story's good and if the flow of the match is good, I mostly don't care. I will be fine. It's all right. It doesn't need to be realistic. I'm not somebody who needs my video games or my movies. I don't need them to be realistic. If the story's good, I'll be fine. <laughs> it's all right. I don't care if the chessboard is not set up correctly. It'll be all right. <laughs> the story's fine. I'll be able to follow it. It's fine. I don't really care. But, uh, yeah. You know, so, spe- you know speaking, of the, speaking of the chessboard being set up correctly, you know, Je- Jeff and I talked about on uh, Wednesday about, you know, how they, were gonna, how they were going to end up doing the whole Falls Count Anywhere thing in oh, the yeah. Stadium Stampede match where they, you know, there they just happened to have a referee available, mm. like, oh, wherever yes, the pin was taking place. And now, like, here on this show, you know, they've used every one of the referees in the match, <laughs> so it worked out perfectly. You yeah. know, there was always a referee wherever the action was going on because they had, like, their entire staff of referees deployed in that match. Mm. It worked out really well, I thought. Because yeah, I remember, it was either you or Jeff, I can't remember which one, but one of you did say something along, on uh, Dynamite After Dark, one of you did say pretty much that. It's like, well, they're going to have to use every referee what a, uh, yeah. to get them everywhere. How how silly is that? They're going to have to use every referee. And then there's immediately watching it going, oh, yeah, they'll just use every referee. That's actually a really good idea. Makes a lot of sense in the world. But, uh, yeah, and, and it's one of those little things where, in terms of the uh, yeah, the idea of that match, where it was a, a fear brought up by Jen and Jeff on um, Wednesday night, if I can get days correctly, times of vortex right now. <laughs> but with... Um, yeah, just that I that uh, that fear of what happens when it just spreads out and everybody ends up in their own little situations. How do you referee that? How do you follow that? And it kind of made sense where 
I guess the only time there wasn't a referee there was the bar brawl. And they yeah. just so focused on the action, they never went for a cover. Any. They never gave you the idea in the head that it might be necessary to have a referee. So I thought that was clever. They never did anything that made you think that a referee should be there. And for me, that was like a little side thing as well, because it had the sign saying to go to the lobby. It was like a little side area. Uh, I like that. It was like a little side portion. Whilst everyone else was just brawling in the open stadium. So it kind of made sense and works as well. Um, I will say I'm. You know, you know, you know that, that makes that, that like as the story the storyteller I me mean, makes me makes me wish they they had a referee in there with Paige, like a referee who had not been doing well, and he's sitting there like drinking with Paige <laughs> and like and like whining about like you know how his how how bad he's been lately as a as a as a, a ref and how and Paige is like kind of like counseling him <laughs> kind of stuff when when Hager comes in. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did think that that entire bar scene was just done so perfectly as well, uh, with Paige and Mick, like first off just offering Jake Hager a drink, and they both just sit there having a whiskey. <laughs> I thought that was a fantastic shot before then going into the brawl. And uh, first off, is kind of my, my immediate reaction to the bar brawl was just, oh my god, has Hangman Page secretly been Jackie Chan this entire time? <laughs> what was that? <laughs> just doing backflips yeah. and things. Oh, that, that was, it was so fast as well, like so fast and so athletic as well. It's kind of caught me off guard. And uh, easily, the most memorable part of the entire brawl was when Jake Hager just he got if the scene from the movies where they're on the bar and he just dragged them all the way down the bar and just chucked them off at the end. <laughs> just like, oh yes, yeah. <laughs> it was yeah, that was done perfectly as well. Obviously, wonderful. yeah. Obviously, a safe wrestling match. There was no glasses on there. It was all paper cups and things. <laughs> but still, the shot was <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Don't take it away from me. <laughs> it's fine. I loved it. <laughs> I also, I also loved how I also loved the assisted, um, uh, the assisted lariat. You know, where, where where Kenny, where instead of the instead of having the ropes to slingshot with, you know, he um, used Kenny's back to do the somersault over. <laughs> <laughs> that was so cool. <laughs> yeah. The fact that they the were able, to, able yeah. to pull off all of their signature moves without the ring ropes or whatever, I thought oh, that, was, that was fantastic. Um, I immediately yeah. found it... We're still on Hangman Page, where he was quite a minor part, really, for the entire story, but everything Hangman Page did was a moment. And for me, I knew I was immediately loving the match was when when he turned up on a horse and chased down Sammy. <laughs> I was just yeah. smiling ear to ear. I was like, yes, this is amazing. <laughs> I love it. It's the perfect yeah, part- escalation from the cart chase. <laughs> it was. And, you know, and, and part of me like was, as a fan, was disappointed that Paige wasn't in, in the match more. But the other part of me is like, well, this is the, exactly how his character has been the last you know, several months that he's been around is, you know, he'll, he'll show up when he's needed. And that's, and that's exactly what he did here. You know, Mm. I'm assuming there were a lot of spots that would have been cool for Americans or at least people who watch the NFL in some capacity, or at least have watched the NFL in some capacity at some point in their lives or been in a room when it was on (laughs) where he got the moonsault off of the goalposts, which uh, the replays show from different angles and did look really cool. Um, Matt Jackson doing the field length Northern Light suplexes. <laughs> I thought that was fantastic. <laughs> and then doing the celebrations and thing. I'm assuming it's a rule in the NFL where you can't taunt your opponents with a celebration, which is what the yellow flag thing was about. Yeah, that is that is a rule, and, that, and that's one reason why the NFL is also referred to as the No Fun League. Ah, <laughs> I'm, I think I've heard that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, but yeah, the. 
the, uh, I'm trying to think. I swear there were other little segments and things. Oh, there, there, was, there was the, 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 there was the instant replay thing. There was the instant replay thing with Jericho oh, yeah. and the red. <laughs> yeah. So 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 uh, in in the NFL you have I think two challenges per half where you throw a red flag and then they go mm. to the replay booth to see if to see what the actual if the ruling on the field was correct and so that's what that was all about. Oh, okay. That's like a because in in the rugby it it just um, which is the closest we've got to making football. It's a pretty free reign, and there'll be lots of conversation happening to, between the referees. Like NFL, you can hear the referees, which is like an important part of it, and therefore you get like lots of respect from the players shown to the referee because you can hear every word the ref shows, and you, uh, you can hear the players as well. So if there's any profanity, that gets called out immediately because uh, you can hear it all. Um, but with um, is it the kind of number you get for me, that's a mix of what they do in the tennis. Where in the tennis you only get a certain amount of challenges, so you can't keep challenging. Uh, whilst as far as I know, in the rugby they don't have that. Where it makes sense, they don't really challenge because there's respect for the officials. Which obviously in wrestling, huh, oh, they don't respect those officials enough. <laughs> Chris Jericho going off at whenever, like oh, I don't respect the officials. Oh, arguing with her in the tent. I thought that was funny. We zipped up the tent. <laughs> and they were just like, the cameras are lying. <laughs> They're lying. <laughs> yeah, you know, when he's entered the tent, I thought there was going to be some kind of hanky-panky where he was going to attack her and they were ever, they had somebody there waiting mm. to tie her up or something. But, <laughs> you know, but no, there was nothing like that. <laughs> <laughs> he just comes out with Aubrey hogtied over his shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> and then puts her on the railroad tracks with the mu- twirling his mustache. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I, I mean, if, I mean if, there's a, if there's a bell and a swimming pool inside that stadium, I know why there couldn't be railroad tracks, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Who knows what's in Jacksonville? <laughs> the mysterious place. <laughs> uh. I, I love I loved that whole part with the pool, too. But, mm. but I mean, what cracked me up was the whole, was the whole uh, I can't swim. What do you mean you can't swim, you pendejo? Get in here. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I love Santana and Ortiz. <laughs> I do too. I think for me, the match that nailed it was just seeing there. It was it was when it was a crappy match, a crappy I guess a crappy stipulation match, and they were doing the best they could, and they were entertaining throughout. Is that um, TNA match where they took up where the ring boards weren't together, so kind of just um, the ring was kind of destroyed or it wasn't tied together properly, and they were walking across the ring the boards under the ring under the ring the boards under the mat on the ring they were walking across those but they weren't tied together so it's like a really loose ring mat and they still managed to do the match and be entertaining in it and for me that was kind of like that was a really difficult situation to try and actually still be good and you nailed it <laughs> i suddenly have respect yeah. for you like well done in that situation uh but they're hilarious uh, <laughs> i think they're fantastic yeah 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 i think ortiz i think ortiz especially since he's been in AEW, that character he's been playing has been has been amazing. <laughs> he's, mm-hmm. I think he's just he's he's one of my favorite characters in AEW right now. So yeah, because um, you and Jeff brought up the point that in TNA you got that fe- I keep calling it TNA. You know what? Everyone knows what I mean. Uh, you got that feeling that Santana might be the breakout star there, but since mm-hmm. moving to AEW, Ortiz with his crazy man character, he's he's just he's really come on leaps and bounds, and suddenly he's like oh. They're actually just as interesting as each other now. Like no gut, no one of it's like Matt and Nick Jackson, where both have their strengths, both have their weaknesses. They're like, they're highlighting each other's strengths now perfectly. So there isn't that feeling of oh, Osorio is clearly the better one. It's like oh no, they're both brilliant. <laughs> I think they're both yeah. yeah. 
And, exactly. Yeah. You know, and and I think and I think that they've always felt that way themselves. You know, because they're mm. they're such good friends, and they're such you know they're they're always like putting each other over. But I but I mean I, I didn't feel Ortiz was anything special in Impact, but I th- I do think he's been one of the MVPs of AEW so far. So. I'm just googling Santana and Ortiz because I've got a feeling that Santana is like actually quite young. I'm feeling they're both actually pretty young, but I can't. Uh, I can't be bothered to look. It's with too many words. Who cares? <laughs> I think there, there are two more people in that league where they're under thirty and getting these incredible spots before incredible experience, which again is insane. You look at the amount of under thirty talent AW have got that are absolutely killing it. It's it's kind of crazy to think about their future. <laughs> Just like the level they're at now. There's so many young talents at such a high level. Uh, in ter- well, the opposite end of that in Matt Hardy, who was the guy that they were working with. Uh, yeah, that was with him. For me, it was the moment when he started doing the poses underwater as the various characters. <laughs> that, yeah. was, that was uh, my favourite bit of the entire thing. Where he would... Uh, the editing for it was good as well. Like, we've seen how WWE edited it in Money in the Bank, doing similar ideas in terms of like changing character and things. And or characters popping up, and it would be like a like record scratch kind of like and the things there, and then everybody reacts to it. Compared to this one, where it was edited relatively well, relatively seamless, so the action continued to flow. And there was never really a record scratch; it was immediate joke. Move on to the next thing. That really, really helped. Uh, and of course, the poses underwater where he's doing the V one sign and the Hardy finger guns <laughs> as well. Just it, it wasn't just it's the faces he pulled as well, where he seemingly got into each character as well. Where the, the Hardy guy was just ecstatic to be there; <laughs> he was just so happy. Uh, and then V one is obviously like, yeah, I'm so cool. V one, yeah, <laughs> I'm the coolest guy. And uh, then obviously the delete one where he's a madman. <laughs> it's just like. Uh, he completely sold me with it on his face as well, <laughs> instead of just the finger gestures. Uh, yeah, a cool segment. <laughs> that was silly, stupid, silly fun, but it, it led to the match so damn well. Yes. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it really, really was. And um, yeah, that's that. And I, I love that they brought back the Matt facts too. I mean, they 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 oh, like yeah, changed the this slightly to make it to meet the the Matt factor or something like that. But yeah, it was. It was it was great to have that back. <laughs> yeah. The bit that did my brain in a little bit was they also had the YouTube uh, time progression bar on there as well. And I was like, wait, something up with my stream? So I was watching on Fight TV where they've also got like a red bar. And I was like, something up with my Fight stream? I was like, oh wait, no, they're doing a bit. <laughs> it's a Matt Fax YouTube video. <laughs> like, okay, yeah, <laughs> right, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, yeah, such a fun match. Uh, we've hardly talked about the on the field stuff. I say on, on the field for a sentence for a wrestling match. <laughs> That's just proof how much I enjoyed this. Uh, um, um, Ortiz is 28 and Santana is 29. Ugh. Oh, so they're in the same bracket as Hangman, where they are still under 30. and They are, yeah. Yeah, so, so they're the, like the immediate next step compared to, like, we talk, they're likely like Sammy Guevara and Darby Allin with their early 20s, tw- and MJF and uh, Jungle Boy with their early 20s. Like, they're mm-hmm. incredible prodigies being built up. Whilst these are like the next guys, and all of them are fantastic, <laughs> it's crazy yep. to think about. Um, I swear I'm forgetting some some part of the match. Uh, Hangman is now really good at riding a horse. <laughs> That's the other thing as well. <laughs> <laughs> like if you think back to All In last year, 
where he, he was he was capable, but he did seem a little bit nervy and things. I don't know if he was nervous because he was riding a horse inside with a lot of people, but the, the confidence in the stride <laughs> on that horse as well. Uh, yeah. Well, well, he was also he was also in his first ever world title match in any promotion too. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> Compared to a pre-taped silly fun brawl, <laughs> it's not yeah. quite the same. Um, no, not at all. Um, yeah, and and you know, actually, I, I expected him to show up on the horse. Actually, I mean, I think I think they foreshadowed it nicely at the very beginning of the show when, um, um, uh, what the hell is that announcer's name? No, Excalibur said, Taz just told me he has to go see a man about a horse. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then when, you know, and then when Paige wasn't there waiting with all the other elite, you know, I was like, okay, he's going to come in with a horse. I know he is. Mm. So. <laughs> well, and the entrances, entrances themselves were so over the top. Again, I'm assuming that's similar to what they actually do in the NFL where uh, I've seen clips where the fire would come out, the smoke would be there. Uh, but I wasn't ready for the sheer amount of smoke. <laughs> to where if they didn't have those aerial shots looking down you wouldn't be able to see them doing anything during the entrances it, it, suddenly you realise oh with the smoke and the fire it makes sense if you pelt through it compared to stopping and doing a pose <laughs> like yes you know, you know yeah. the, the, let me tell you a funny story about that smoke <laughs> mm. I um my, we um just recently redid my living room and, and actually today I painted the wall white so that we could watch it on our projector so I was like I'm watching like this wall sized um, wrestling show, literally like wall sized, oh. <laughs> and and so and so like, but when all that smoke came out, like my entire like like there was like a little bit of gray, and then the entire thing was white, and I'm like, wait a minute, did my projector just go out like three quarters of the way? It was because I, I think I got I got up to do something and I just came in and the screen was completely white. <laughs> I was just like, oh, oh my god, <laughs> this is so much. Smoke. <laughs> um, I, I think um, the the thing that kind of sold it for me the most at the start as well was the 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 run out with the fire and the incredible amount of smoke and Jer- uh, the inner circle all came out dressed as footballers as well in the football gear, the inner circle football gear. Uh, and then the cheerleaders there as well. I wasn't expecting the cheerleaders. That caught me off guard. It was just, for some reason, it was a nice detail that worked. <laughs> it just sell the entire thing, where there's cheerleaders cheering on as if it's an actual match. Uh, it's an actual football yeah. match. And yeah, and, and then when Sammy comes back in after being chased by Hangman, the 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 uh, inner circle starts chanting Sammy, and then, and then the cheerleaders start chanting Sammy. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> Sammy. Sammy. But then I think, but I think that also later on we didn't see who it was later on. But I think later on they were also cheer, they were also doing a cheer for the horse too. <laughs> I think they were playing it to the uh, like on the screen to the like the employees at ringside. So I think they were reacting as if they were a crowd to it, watching the video, which really that yeah. was it. It worked really well because it meant you were at least still connected to that location rather than being completely disconnected to it, just watching a video. Uh, they were right. watching it with you. I feel like that works yeah. quite well. It is a, it's a so production too. critique. Mm. Yeah, I, I did think it was funny about the football about the football jerseys that JR's like, and those numbers are not just numbers, folks. Those those mean something. And, he, and he's like, JR um, Jericho's wearing twenty seven, which was the the number of um, his dad in um, in hockey. Mm. And who else? Then who was he, who did he mention? Um, Sammy Guevara is wearing like the number of 
something or other. And then, but the other three, like he had no idea about. (laughs) (laughs) I'll just drop it. (laughs) And somebody's like trying to prompt him about Hager. He's like, he's like, uh, he's like, yeah, I think it was his uh, football jersey from college. But then he just drops the stuff about Santana. (laughs) He's completely. It's like it's like way to go, Jr. <laughs> uh, I, I swear I'm forgetting some spot. The spot I'm, I'm jumping immediately to the end. But I was like, I haven't said when there's a, did surely Nick Jackson did something. <laughs> I just remember there's the Hangman Page spots. There's the Kenny Omega also turned up to the brawl. There's the Jericho stuff where he then uh, had the comedy stuff with uh, Aubrey Edwards. There's Santa Santana and Ortiz and Matt Hardy. Uh, Matt Hardy and Kenny Omega chasing down Sammy again. Uh, the only thing I can think of that Nick Jackson did was oh wait no he was brought, he was the one brawling with Jericho wasn't he he was the one yeah he was brawling with Jericho and he, yeah he did and he did that he did that like running leap off of the mm. stadium off the uh, off well, of the bleachers onto yes. Jericho in a big splash that was it know? yes because uh, yeah. the thing that made me laugh with that one was he went up the steps and Jr was going always oh, going to get a run a, uh, a big run up and I was just like he's coming down the stairs he's lost every like, he's not got any momentum <laughs> he's just right. he's just coming down the stairs at the fast pace and he's going to have to stop to then get it right to then jump onto the barricade but cleverly they did a smart edit so he was running down the steps and then showed something else and when they came back he was already on the barricade and it flowed well. Uh, take note, WWE, after this week with Velveteen Dream, where somebody said it looked like a sequence from Power Rangers. <laughs> Velveteen Dream just jumped over the barricade and landed on somebody, all with it kind of being like close shots, like the 90s Power Rangers kids TV show. And uh, this was a good way to actually show how to properly do a big dive like that. Yeah. <laughs> this is how you actually do it. Uh, yeah. It was such a fun match. Proof of proof and point, we've done like 20 minutes on that match alone. <laughs> it kind of just says about how much we enjoyed it, uh, and uh, I was... it, it, it was it was also a nice uh, reversal of fortune for, you know, when two weeks ago Matt Hardy got thrown into the mm. ice chest and locked in there. This week he was he got to throw uh, Santana in the ice chest and lock him in there. Oh, not talked about Doctor Matt <laughs> as well, just the with him prescribing things. And... Oh yes, <laughs> <laughs> take one of these. He puts him in a piece. <laughs> That's <laughs> so good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and because, um, like, when, when Ortiz was uh, selling, just being, just like, <laughs> after getting the bell rung. <laughs> and I was just like, where is this going? And then Matt Hardy just tapes him around the chair, then he's like, take one of these. <laughs> and just punch him in the face. <laughs> That's so good. Uh, yeah. It was just such a fantastic comedic way to write out the, uh, I was going to call them the LAX brothers, but no. <laughs> uh, Homicide and Hernandez have taken that name back. They can take it back now. So t- Proud and Powerful, that's a bloody name. Found, waffled on long enough to find it. Yeah, such a funny comedic and, way to write them out <laughs> as well. It, it was. And, and, you know, we talked earlier about how, you know, they made uh, Brody Lee still look strong, even though he ended up losing to mm. um, to um, Moxley. And, we, and how they made Lila Rose look strong, even though, he's, even though she still ended up losing to Hikaru Shida. You know that they've made Hager look strong too because he got knocked out, but not until he was hit like five with five champagne bottles in the head, mm. and then the um, V trigger by Kenny Omega, and then the buckshot lariat by by Page. You know, so mm. oh, and then the spot where they they poured each other a shot, but <laughs> it was the milk <laughs> for, <laughs> for Kenny and the whiskey poured for Hangman was great too. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, um, uh, they're just saying, oh, yeah, Hangman Late likes uh, whiskey-flavoured milk. <laughs> That's yeah. what he's got there. 
Uh, but, but yeah, such a fun match. And if, if you're somebody who, after seeing WWE cinematic matches, weren't really entirely sure about a different cinematic match, different companies, different production styles, different creative techniques, for me, they are not. They're not the same. They're both. The only similarities they are taped cinematic matches, which really can be say it's like saying two films are the same because they're both films. What? No, <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. They were wildly different. And for me, this one just nailed just being fun whilst also keeping it corely on the beatdown and the match without going too crazy outside the concept and still still keeping it fun and, fun and focused, I think is actually a better phrase to talk about this one. Uh, oh, and the thing yeah, else... Yeah, and, 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 you know, and you know, I said on Wednesday night on Dynamite, you know, that I thought... You know, having the, all these kind of these creative guys being out there, able to go out there and create things on a field that big, um, with so much room to work with, was going to be amazing. And I ended up still being amazed by it. So, there you go. That's how good it was. My almost six a.m. brain is doing an amazing job of speaking over Jan. <laughs> so, if you, <laughs> I'll, I'll use that as my excuse. <laughs> it's, it's very slow to react to things. <laughs> so, yeah. um, no problem. The one thing I was thinking about throughout the match was, uh, in terms of like momentum and building, is it actually going to have an ending where it just ends, or are they going to actually manage to successfully build to something throughout all of this random chaos? And the moment it changed and then built really well was when they were saying that everybody's just been beaten up and they're all down. Uh, Sammy Guevara's just had this northern suplex <laughs> all the entire time, and they show him like clawing on the floor trying to get back up. <laughs> so that was fantastic. <laughs> And then he hears the beeping of the cart, and he's like, oh no, oh no, <laughs> and then sprints away. Uh, obviously, uh, he was the last guy. Oh no, because he stood up. I'm an idiot. He was crawling, and then it turns out he, where he'd stopped was right on top of a sprinkler. <laughs> so the sprinkler yeah, turns that was so great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's just, it's one of those things where as soon as it happens, like, oh yeah, of course. <laughs> it's just, it's such a, such a smart idea. <laughs> it was something so basic. Um, and then he pelted it away, and then they built to the massive end spot where Kenny Omega hit the... Did, that, did they get the cart up there somehow? I can't remember how they did that. I thought it was off the golf cart that was elevated somehow. They did the uh, one-winged angel onto a massive built wooden structure thing, which looked very similar no, to the... No, it was, just, it, was just, it was just off the landing. Oh, it was just off the landing. Was, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the golf cart was still down on the field. Yeah, it's fair to say I might have zoned out a bit. <laughs> I was like, how did they get the golf cart up there? <laughs> so they didn't imp. That's how they did it. Ah, okay. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, for me that was, because I, I was thinking about the entire thing, uh, how are they going to build that momentum to the end crescendo of the match? And they did it. They hit that really big move and it felt like a worthy finish. It didn't just end all of a sudden. Or you had a little flurry, then it ended. It's like, no, it actually built and carried through that momentum as well uh, a fitting ending with for a match this chaotic i feel like it will be rare to say like out of all the cinematic matches we've seen and we're likely to still see over these coming months uh, this one might be like setting the bar of how to build to that satisfying ending yeah all of the stars uh rich latter a former writer here on lots of pain and of the social suplex podcast network uh he he jokingly was like eff it Five and a half stars. <laughs> Amazing. Even <laughs> all the stars. <laughs> Why not? Like this isn't a match where you can like rate it really properly. Like you're gonna give these stars for this for all of these different attributes. It's like it was silly fun. 
really. It was like the perfect kind of ending to this kind of show, just to send you off on a happy note. Yeah, yeah and you know, um, you know, they said on Dynamite. I think Jr. said, "How are you going to finish that? How are you going to follow that match?" Well, you don't. You don't. You have that go on last. Duh. Mm. So, and they did. So I'm, I'm, I was I was glad to see that the that the world title match was second mm. to last and not this one. I feel like that was a lesson WWE learned themselves over WrestleMania weekend, where they had one show end with the cinematic piece, and that that makes it sound way too artsy fartsy. Oh, we created a cinematic piece for <laughs> entertainment. Uh, and then they had the second night end in a match, and it was very evident that the one with the match just felt a little bit jarring and not quite right. So then Money in the Bank ended on a cinematic. Uh, Double or Nothing seems to have learned that lesson as well, ending on the cinematic match. It's It, it makes sense, because these are crazy elaborate matches. It's weird to then go back to just a normal in-ring match. Like Brody Lee, John Moxley, they did the best they could. But if, they, if that would have gone on afterwards, because it's the title... I feel like I would have just zoned out of the match. Like, how can I focus on two big lads fighting in the ring after what I've just witnessed? <laughs> I'm not really going to care that much. Uh, so yeah, yeah. Well, anyway. they've also made a ha- they've also made a habit of anytime they have an unsanctioned style match, having the show end with that after everything else is done. Hmm. You know, they did they did that twice with oh, yes. um, unsanctioned matches involving Moxley. Already, that's a point. Yeah, with these out there matches, there's already this sentiment for it, or the precedent for it is already set with those lights out matches. That's it. that's a really good point. Actually, yeah. Right, I feel like it's probably wise if we go through the rest of the card because <laughs> there was a it was like a four hour show. There's quite a lot on it. So, uh, first off, did you watch the buy in? Um, I watched, I tried to, like I said, I, that was mm. when I was trying to get my, my, uh, app to work. So I actually ended up having to in, uninstall and reinstall BR live in order to be able to watch okay. the actual show. So, mm. but yeah, so I mean, I, I, so I, so I mean, I saw who won and I saw like bits and pieces of the match, but I really do want to go back and watch that match again because I'm a big fan of private party and we haven't really seen them for months. Mm. Yeah. So, uh, uh, buy-in was a private party, but you're all invited. I wrote that down on my notes just to make sure I got the lyrics right. <laughs> they were uh, they were versus a sans bestest of the friends, Orange Cassidy, in just Trent and Chuck Taylor, the best friends. Um, it was a messy and fun of athletic spots. Like you could see a bit of the potential ring rust in the fact that they have been quarantined or, or they've been in lockdown for a few months they've not wrestled and they're one of the private party are one of those teams where you can see the massive potential they obviously just need to keep getting that experience and you can see that it's, it all the tools are there and obviously at that point in your career having like two three months off it's really like it's not a great time for that to happen and uh mjf as well like i feel like this pay-per-view he finally kind of got it together but that's another tangent i'm jumping off uh yeah, it was messy. You saw a bit of ring rust. It was full of athletic spots. But because it was on the buy-in, I didn't really care. It was a pretty fun pre-show bout. I don't really have a higher bar for a pre-show match. It hit the bar. I was fine with it. <laughs> I didn't really care Perfect. about anything else. Uh, yeah, for me, Excalibur and Taz were the highlight of the match. Uh, they've got such an easy, flowing chemistry together. It's just, that, it's just a shame we don't really hear them that much as a pairing and now Taz has got uh, his own busy thing which we can get to when we talk about the next match but it's just like oh it's a shame we don't hear Excalibur and Taz together that often because they're great <laughs> they just have such a natural chemistry 
Yeah, yeah. Taz, Taz does a really great job as a color commentator. Um, you did a great job on SmackDown. You did a great job on ECW. You did a, did a great job with Impact or TNA, and now he's and now he's done a great job every time he's been around for AEW. So yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Uh, a nice moment in the match was uh, when Private Party, who were wearing SG armbands uh, for Shad Gaspard, uh, they hit Crime Time's finisher, uh, the G9, and Taz made sure to call it on commentary as well. So that was like a nice little tribute moment to do with that. Uh, oh, cool. But the match itself was fine. Uh, do you want me to not inform you of the winner if, in case you do go back to watch it? No, I know who won. You know, oh, of course he said it all at the end, yes. Uh, in the end, yeah. Best Friends were able to come back and hit their, I want to call it the Dude Buster, but what's it, is it actually called the Dude Buster from their days? Strong, strong Zero. Strong Zero, oh yeah, that's it. Oh, I thought he got a proper name. <laughs> it's just, I'm thinking way back, <laughs> different past names. <laughs> Uh, but yes, they won with the Strong Zero in the end. Uh, best friends continue their momentum. Uh, that means they also get a tag team championship match down the line at some point as well. Uh, for me, the most interesting part being the story of the champions in that match. Uh, Kenny Omega and Hangman seem to click in the bar. Where if you're going to click with Hangman, surely the bar is like the place to give it a go. <laughs> where he's at his home. <laughs> where he's most comfortable. Yeah, you know, it's it's... And I know Jeff and I have covered this agnosium on Dynamite, but it's so weird the way that they try to that they're that the announcers tell one story about what's going on with Hangman Page and Omega, and and the actual stuff going on tells a completely different story between them. So, <laughs> it's a, because because yeah. really it's it's always Hangman and the Bucks that have had their problems, not Hangman and Omega. Mm. I think one thing that probably helps with that, and I'm assuming quite a few people have got it, it's the years of training from WWE to kind of ignore what the commentators are saying. <laughs> and look at and look at what's in front of you, <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah. So even though I would put AEW's commentators as way better, actually, generally getting in terms of like getting information from them and it not being pure entertainment nonsense, I rate AEW's commentators way higher. But there is still that slightly jarring disconnect where the people telling the story know what they're doing, and quite often it's Jim Ross who's not quite clicked with what's happening, and Excalibur has to prod him in a direction just to kind of nudge him in the right way. <laughs> just to, they were like, actually, it's this, JR, don't you think this might be the case? Oh, yeah, yeah I think it might be the case. Good point, Excalibur. <laughs> so it's, uh, for me, that's something that happens a little bit, fair bit. Not as much as when they started. Like, Excalibur was doing a lot of the heavy lifting in the earlier days, but now Jim Ross has hit a lot more of a groove to a point where I had no issues with him on the show at all. Uh, maybe oh, Maybe he said the odd thing, but... It wasn't big enough for me to care. Which, you know. No, there, were, there was just a few times where he came across as the crossy old man again tonight, oh. and I, that just that just bugs the shit out of me. <laughs> I, I, you know, you know, you know where he's like, I where like the spot with with the little ladder. He was like, yeah, I wasn't even going to mention that ha that was, that was happening. <laughs> I, I missed that. <laughs> <laughs> again, my years of training to not pay that much attention it hurts me. He's <laughs> a covers in his recaps. Uh, well, I might as well talk about that match now. And, and yeah, why not? Okay. That's the next match. That's next match anyway, right? Yes, the nine-man casino ladder match with the winner receiving an AEW Championship match in the future at some point with their special double or nothing poker chip. <laughs> Do they cash in the poker chip? <laughs> it was a it's a funny image if they cash in the poker chip rather than just have a match. Uh, I don't know how much they're going to stick to that. Uh, so it was. As I wrote it down in my notes as the Royal Rumble ladder match. An interesting concept. Uh, start with two in the ring, and at any point, someone could win the match. 
So you coming out technically in terms of like if we're living in the kayfabe world, you coming out last is both good in terms of you are going to be the most fresh man at the end, but it's also bad because somebody could win it before you come out. However, with a new fresh person coming out every two minutes, and of course there's somebody in the ring in there trying to stop you from winning, that means the people who are there, it's quite a slim chance that they will actually have the time to win before a new fresh body comes down. Uh, even though, like at first I thought, hmm, obviously I was a bit scared of, oh, what was it called? Uh, the lockdown match at the end of the lockdown pay-per-view. Was it Lethal Lockdown? Yep. Yes, that was it. Where you had like a massive warp of time where the match was never going to end. And then there's people coming out and then you knew when the roof came down that finally the, the weapons come on and the match could end. Uh, which meant that oftentimes there wasn't much drama in what was happening. Uh, War Games had done a pretty good job of fast-forwarding kind of that part of it. Uh, but this this match, I thought I was a bit scared that might happen. Where there is that thing of, oh, people are going to keep coming out, but the match doesn't properly start until match number nine comes out with the Mystery Man. I was totally wrong. Like, from first two people, they were immediately telling that story like a Rumble does. And then the people coming down, they were generally trying to win. Well, does Orange Cassidy count as generally trying to win? <laughs> I guess <laughs> he was trying to win as best he could without without being able without actually setting up a ladder. <laughs> I loved the way when he went over to the commentators and he was asking them oh, what are the rules, <laughs> and they were just laughing. Just yeah, like, yeah, to... yeah. How do you how do you win this match again? <laughs> yeah. And when they were like, "Oh, you've got to climb the ladder," and his reaction was like, "You mean I've got to get that thing?" Like, yeah, it's like, oh. Uh... <laughs> Just tilted his head back, like God, <laughs> really? Why? Uh, yeah, and I, and I was when he tried to when he tried to set up the ladder without actually setting up the ladder. Like he like he stood it up mm. and just and just like watched to see if it would stay up for. Uh, and the thing that really <laughs> helped with that spot as well, where it might have seemed a little random if they didn't do that bit before the match, where every competitor got a two camera promo. Uh, like before the match, like another concept from the past that just died away for some reason. And now AW bringing it back, and you're like, oh yeah, that used to be a thing, and then they just stopped it in the nineties because <laughs> it wasn't cool and edgy, and now it kind of make now we're interested in characters again. <laughs> it kind of makes right. sense. It's like, oh yeah, yeah, it does make sense that that comes back, and he kind of just before a match like this, he gives us all the characters, but they showed us Orange Cassidy. It's like, oh. So if I just tilt the ladder on its side, then I could just stand up on that. <laughs> like, no, <laughs> no orange. <laughs> so when he did it in the match, you'd already seen him practicing it backstage. Practicing it, you know what I mean? <laughs> Trying try to come up with ways to climb the ladder backstage. Uh, plus, also in the ring, when that didn't work, he seemed to just, on the ground, be lifting up the ladder. Like, oh, that's how it works. Like, figuring out ladders <laughs> type of thing. <laughs> Thought that was great. Um, yeah, and, and, and I loved when... Uh... Scarborough's like, you know, he knows how to set up a ladder, he's just too lazy to do it. <laughs> <laughs> My other thought as well was, if he is lazy, why would he have ever, ever actually set up a ladder? He would just have said no and somebody else would have done it. So it makes sense he wouldn't know. <laughs> why would Orange Cassidy set up a ladder in real life? <laughs> he wouldn't. Uh, that was me living too much in kayfabe at that point. But I was able to find a logical conclusion pretty quickly. Uh yeah, exactly. Uh, like somebody was using it as a kind of proof of how much Orange Cassidy has uh, kind of grown as an act, where he was such a strong focal point of this match, where seemingly everybody interacted with him with some way when they came in, which I thought was that kind of exemplifies like how big a star he kind of has become, where everybody mm-hmm. wanted to do a spot of Orange Cassidy, 
be it quick or short or whatever, where they, he just quickly destroys them or Orange Cassidy ducks out of the way or something. Everybody got a chance to do something silly with Orange Cassidy. Yeah, yeah that was a nice little touch. I thought it kind of shows how much he's grown as an act. Yeah, it was great. Um, mm. And then and then Cold follows him out and just throws him out of the ring mm. when he tries to... Yes, because <laughs> Cole's like you here. You stand on the water, and I'll, and I'll like boost you up when you jump. <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and he jumps, and Cole throws him out. Colt was—he was really solid. I noticed because uh, midweek at Dynamite as well, where Phoenix, uh, where we got injured, where Phoenix uh, messed up the—he did the awesome rope dope and then backflip, but then the landing wasn't nice at all. Then Colt Cabana yeah. jumped in. And he did just like an absolutely perfect Asai moonsault. Where it's just like, you can't do that better. <laughs> that was perfectly executed. And then in this match as well, I felt like he was like, just, he, he, he felt the veteran where he just nailed everything he did. Uh, like he knew, he knows his limits. He, and he, what he does, he does really well. I thought that was, uh, I felt that in this match as well. He's, he's become just <laughs> solid, <laughs> which is yeah, nice yeah, to you're... see. Yeah, you're so right that Cole Cabana's moonsault at the top of that to the outside is one of the most graceful things you'll ever see. <laughs> he, <laughs> yeah. he does it so well, and and yeah, I mean he's he is he's a goofball and he likes to have fun, but yeah, I mean when it comes, but he's certainly capable of being the glue guy in a match as well. Mm. Uh, and you compare that to uh, Jimmy Havoc in this match, where it was weird, I guess in a way, what Jimmy Havoc tried to do. Their entire act, I'm trying to still figure out how where Jimmy fits in because it's one of those where in real life, as far as I know, they do live together. So it and it's kind of bounced off of that. The reality's kind of seeped into the AEW product, and but the way I saw it was just watching them. Kip Sabin came off as one of those characters where he's the dickhead son of a millionaire. Then Penelope Ford is then the girlfriend who is really just dating him for the money, but knows he's a prick. And Jimmy Butler is, I guess. The murder butcher? Oh no, the murder butler. <laughs> yes, in a way, with his suit and his tie, we've completely soaked in blood. Uh, I'd, I'd make it was make an interesting comic book villain. Kip Saban with with the murder butler by his side, <laughs> but uh, it was we. It was uh, It's one of those ones where it was uh, Kazarian and Jimmy Havoc, and I think they were. I don't know what they were meant to do off the corner, but Jimmy Havoc just kind of just fell backwards onto the ladder, and kind of, essentially they. Then on the fly, because they are both veterans, they at least both figured out, oh, we can change this into Havoc essentially takes himself out and then Kazarian just wipes him up. I thought that was an odd moment. But Kip Saban is another one who's... Oh, it definitely was. That was definitely a very odd moment. I totally agree. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, Kip Saban himself, I feel like he's coming on leaps and bounds. And when like halfway through this match, I was just sitting there just thinking... Really? You really feel that way? From his first... Well, his first match... Oh, well, I want to say he was on the pre-show against Sammy Guevara. I think. And he was showing off his athleticism, but I thought he was fine. And from that point, for me, he's... When I say ascended, I mean he's ascended into a decent mid-card act now. Oh, lower okay. mid, Decent lower mid-card act. I don't know if I'm overselling it. <laughs> but as in where he is right now, I feel like, yeah, I'm perfectly fine with Kip Saban's character of where he kind of is in the ranking and the card and when he comes out I'm I'm not like ugh like yeah I'm enjoying Kip Saban I like him as the heel person Penelope Ford was the perfect choice um, in terms of the visual having the murder butler by his side looks good it's just that Jimmy Havoc I don't know if there's something up with him but he doesn't look right 
and he's just like in the ring he's just a little bit awkward as well which is it kind of sucks because he's so damn good um well, I, well see, i've seen him be so damn good over in the uk and seeing him in here is kind of like he is all right right because he's he's been he's it, it, in ring he doesn't look quite with it as he has done in the past um the... Yeah, I haven't, heard, I haven't heard anything going on going on with him, but yeah, I mean, I, I certainly feel like he's playing second fiddle to Sabian, which is really weird to me because Havoc shouldn't play second fiddle to anybody, really. Mm. <laughs> yeah, um... and, and yeah, yeah, I do, but I, yeah, I do like the murder, I do like the whole, the whole like you know murder butler thing, or at least me like murder dressed up in a in a white suit is pretty mm. pretty sweet with a little drop mm. of blood on him, and yeah. and you and uh, penalty forward is. You know, it's hard for her not to be perfect doing anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so if you ever listen to uh, Dynamite After Dark, it's like one of those things I think where Jeff has to just try and transition as quickly as possible. Jenna's <laughs> 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 like, no, we could talk for longer. <laughs> no, <it's not. laughs> um, well, he also tries to he also tries to avoid me making stupid jokes at his expense. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I swear, uh, at least once an episode, Jeff says he hates you. <laughs> I think it's better. <laughs> it's, it's just, it's not, it's not right, is it? It just so doesn't feel right if that moment's not happened. <laughs> it's just... It does not at all. No. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think. Oh, in terms of memorable, uh, memorable appearances in the match, I'm trying to find a way to logically transition that ten past six in the morning. <laughs> I'm doing a decent Go job. Uh, Darby Allen, he certainly made an entrance. And uh, this is one of those moments where the commentary did fit with what Darby Allen did, where uh, the big spot was when he, very early on into his entrance, before the second guy had come out, he climbed up a ladder that was ringside, and there was somebody prone on a ladder that was set across uh, the barricade and the ring apron, and he got his skateboard, climbed to the top of that tall ladder, and the plan was to jump onto the person who was prone with this, and ride the skateboard onto him, of course, the person just moved and Darby Allen landed seemingly like shin first onto the ladder. And the way he was selling his leg was just like, he is really good. Because <laughs> the way he did that, I could 100% believe that he generally hurt his leg doing that. And it wouldn't be surprised if he has hurt his leg in some capacity. <laughs> it's just one of those matches where you're like, yeah, Darby Allen's going to be hurting in the morning. Jesus Christ, like Brian Cage at the end as well, the way it just chuck with Darby Allen on the ladder, just chucking him outside. It's just like, oh my God, <laughs> poor Darby. He got absolutely battered in this match. But yeah, that stun off the yeah, top of the did, ladder was sure. by far the most mental. Just that there's no good way to land that. You're going to get hurt. <laughs> and he, yeah, he was fine, which is again, he's what what is his body? <laughs> if I can take those crazy <laughs> things and just get up, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's you're gonna get hurt if you miss it, and you're not gonna hit it unless that's Joey Janelle underneath there. So, mm. is he... <laughs> you, know, you know, I don't, you know, I think it was Kazarian he was doing it to, and Kazarian's not gonna take that spot. Yeah, you know, the only one in that match that would have would have been Joey Janela. Yeah, so you knew he was gonna miss it in some way, shape, or form. <laughs> yeah, Joey Janela was the only guy crazy enough to just be fine to take that. Yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I thought that was quite a memorable way for Darby Allen to because like with a big character, they come in, they make a massive impact, they get taken out, and then they'll come back later. Uh, it was the perfect note for Darby Allen to do do that just to. And then the, the commentators were selling it as he was just he he was going too hard 
immediately at the top, and he did, he wasn't letting down. And he just like super amped up, and that carried him over the top. And obviously, the consequences. He didn't kind of check himself, which feeds into the story he's having with Taz. It's like, oh yes. And I was coming up with guys for who Taz could manage because that was my prediction. Taz would come out on the ninth guy with somebody purely because Darby Allen was in the match, and that's the story Darby Allen had with Taz. Like I wouldn't have. It wouldn't have been the worst thing in the world if they still kept with Taz. Like, Taz could have been critical of Darby Allin's story in this ladder match, and they could have fleshed it out a little bit more. But they've told it so fine anyway that I don't really mind. It's it's one of those things, like you were saying earlier, where, yeah, I could come up with something where I wouldn't have minded it going another way, but I'm so quickly over it, because what they've done, I'm perfectly fine with anyway. (laughs) So it's like, yeah, yeah, I'm perfectly fine with it. Uh, So my choice was Taz with Jeff Cobb. However, because Jeff Cobb is in, in the AW universe has already kind of been shown as like a mercenary type of guy that was hired by the inner circle, it maybe doesn't have quite the same impact as somebody completely new that uh, Taz brings in. I mean, completely new to the AW universe compared to Jeff Cobb is somebody we knew, but style-wise really fits with Taz. Brian Cage is a... Well, as I, as I say, on, make sure to say on every match, in, uh, on commentary in every one of his matches, Brian Cage is a machine... He's not human. <laughs> the Terminator gimmick really does fit with him. Yeah, he he can do every style and he's absolutely jacked. He's jacked like Batista and he can fly like Mysterio. That's insane <laughs> to be able to do that. Yep. And, yeah, or or as Josh Matthews said one time, Brian Cage might be God in disguise. <laughs> uh, for some reason I heard that in Josh Matthews' tone, like he didn't put like any twang on it in my head. He was just saying it as a genuine statement. Like, no, genuinely, have we looked into it? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, for me, he was like the. It was a perfect level to be that last entrant and cause ultimate havoc, just destroying everybody. Like poor Darby Allin, poor Orange Cassidy, poor anybody who got in Brian Cage's way. And I like the idea that everybody realised very quickly that he was a threat and just piled all the stuff on top of him. And including the massive poker chip, which took four people to move. <laughs> I like that. Uh, uh, and uh, the bit that I also liked in the ring was when they first realised that, and he was climbing the ladder, and Orange Cassidy jumped on his back with Brian Cage still climbing. So to pull Brian Cage down, they grabbed Orange Cassidy and started pulling Orange Cassidy, and that's how they got Brian Cage down. <laughs> Cassidy wasn't letting go, but pulling down Orange Cassidy meant that Brian Cage couldn't climb. It's like, yeah, I like that little thing, because they've not pulled down Brian Cage, he still remains strong. They've pulled down Orange Cassidy, and that's what stopped Cage from climbing. Yeah. And then, of course, you got the big monster spot where they power out of all the rubble. <laughs> Just like an explosion, and boom, Brian Cage. And the guy in the ring's like, ah, oh, shit. <laughs> Tries to get him loud as quickly as possible. Uh, yeah. Enjoyed it. Yeah. A f- a chaotic, like, like the match before, it, where it was messy in parts, but because it was a chaotic match anyway, didn't really man- mind. It kind of added to the danger element of that match, and it was fun. I'm not really looking for anything more than that in a Royal Rumble ladder match. <laughs> like, if it's fun, I am fine. Okay. Yeah, it's it's actually very funny because you said that you said Jeff Cobb because I actually was thought exactly the same thing. <laughs> I was like, I was like, you know, Jeff Cobb would be the great guy to come out here because I didn't want it to be a former WWE guy. You know, I didn't mm. want it to be like Zack Ryder oh, yeah. or or uh, EC3 or. Um, anybody like that, you know, so, I mean, I really wanted it to be somebody 
that was not a former WWE guy. So I was hoping for Jeff Cobb. It ended up being Brian Cage. And, it, and you know, Brian Cage is basically like Jeff Cobb with Rey Mysterio skills, like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. So, so I mean, I, I mean, so yeah, I mean, for, for Taz to manage him makes a lot of sense. And maybe, and maybe the idea with him pressing, with him press slamming Darby Allen, who was laying on top of a ladder to the outside to punish him, is maybe a, maybe eventually to get Darby Allen to come around to be part of Taz's stable too. Who knows? Ah, that's a point. Where do, where does the rivalry go? Because AEW always have these like long term planned out. St- storylines and things that they are you can actually think well where they're actually going with this because they do have a plan so it's exactly generally interesting to see where they're actually going to take it to well I mean part one is Darby Allen gets murdered by Brian Cage on Dynamite at some point so I've got that to look forward to <laughs> like if he's not already beaten up enough Cage is probably going to break him first like do the Batman thing where he just destroys him and they have to get come back and fight him so yeah Cage well, as Bane would be great casting. <laughs> it's, it's like, I'm, I'm trying to think of comic book comparisons. It's like, well, it's got to be Bane. And then there's a storyline where he breaks Batman's back. It's like, oh, yep. I mean, Dobby Allen's closer to Robin from the 60s in terms of build. <laughs> but still, I guess it's fine. <laughs> it's just, yeah. Yeah. yeah, Dick Grayson makes, makes Darby Allen look like a body. <laughs> Or no, the other way around. Yeah, no. Darby Allen makes Dick Grayson look like a bar- look like a bodybuilder. That's what it is. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but yes, I'm. I'm it's set, it sets up the future as well, which I thought this match did really well of uh, setting up what is next to come. Not just a kerfuffle of fun nonsense. It did build to the next thing. And uh, even though we've got Darby Allen, Brian Cage, you've then got Brian Cage. Uh, you can use Darby Allen to establish him, but you have got Brian Cage versus the champion. In John Moxley as well at some point because he's he's got a championship match at some point. I don't know if you hold it off and he's just like I've got this match. I'm just going to settle in first, then I'm going to go there. Or you do the Brody Lee thing of just like immediate challenges. But personally, I wouldn't mind if it's not like immediately John Moxley faces the new person who's arrived. I think I uh, wouldn't mind it if Brian Cage does have that storyline with Darby Allen first, then move on to Moxley. Whilst Moxley has a little in between period. After defeating Brody Lee, yeah, I mean, and you'd also you'd also think that at some point, Chris Jericho would would want a rematch for his world championship because Jericho is still undefeated nice. in the company, other than other than losing to Moxley that one match. So I remember who else? And, is... and, 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 and I guess losing tonight, but I mean, really, he's he's only lost like what two or three matches the entire time he's been in the company. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, and there was the, somebody made a tweet which was like just a perfect point where a criticism of AW that you see now and then is oh it's just high flying. Uh, spots, mug, high high flying spots and things that there isn't really. It's all, all indie riffic stuff, and then immediately just like, have you seen the recent hires? Lance Archer, Brian Cage, they've also got Luchasaurus, Wardlow. That <laughs> they are building the beef. <laughs> they are more than Brody. Well, and Brody Lee, and of course Brody Lee. Yeah, it is a recent hires: Lance Archer, Brody Lee, and Brian Cage. Like, yeah, they are building some beef. <laughs> they have got the hosses. Like those host matches are coming. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Oh, oh, who did I say for Luchasaurus? Oh, is it? Yeah, Luchasaurus, Brian Cage. That was it. That got a little bit teased. It's like, oh, yes. Because I've been teasing Luchasaurus Wardlow as well. It's like, oh, suddenly I'm realising I want Luchasaurus just to face all of the big lads. <laughs> it's like, I'm ready. I'm ready for his push. <laughs> he's, he's getting over. Uh, well, you, I, well, you know, they were, supposed, they were supposed to do Wardlow versus um, oh. Luchasaurus in a... In a um, 
in a, not an AMM, but a lumberjack match the same week as Blood and Guts. So maybe they'll have maybe mm. they're building towards that again. Yeah, I remember them actually hyping that. Yeah. And then of course, life took real life took over. Who never got it, but they have in the background kind of been building to it. Uh, what was the? Yeah, yeah, be- yeah, be- yeah, because you can't have ten guys at ringside right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. Yes. <laughs> So the we're kind of talking about this world already. So associated with Wardlow, MJF versus associated with Luchasaurus, Jungle Boy. Uh, we brought this up earlier in terms of just showing the future. And uh, for me, this was a fantastic showcase of that. Nothing really more of that. It keeps MJF's undefeated streak going, which it didn't dawn on me until they brought it up on AEW Dynamite this week, which it's like, ah, so now they're acknowledging it. I'm assuming that's for a reason, as he continues to win, or at least escape with wins. Mm-hmm. And that really adds to his character, where he's a dickhead on the mic and to your face, <laughs> but he he's undefeated. So surely his words are being backed up, right? And I uh, I really rate that because that it makes you really really uh, desire the comeuppance, and when that happens, it's just a bigger moment. Uh, it hits better if MJF has a title as well. Like just this, this, that that climb has continued to happen. But MJF is so undefeated that he's winning championships and things, and then he can beat him up. Uh, but this was a fantastic showcase of the future. Again, both guys under twenty-five, and being that good at that age. I think I said this earlier. That's crazy. Uh, to think that Darby Allen's in that same boat as well. It's like that's insane. Like they have got such great talent under their belt right now. And I thought I thought this match was incredibly solid. I don't know why. When they came out, I was thinking like, "Oh, I might zone out doing this." But by the end of it, I was like, "Yeah, no, that was that was bloody great." And if this is a sign for the future, they're only get be- getting better from here. And this was a fantastic second match card to kind of then take you on from the hectic ladder match we saw, and then onto the next match. Uh, yeah, I thought they did an absolutely incredible job. Absolutely nailed it. Yes, it's not a five-star match, but it didn't need to be. For me, it was entertaining, really showcased the talent, which is kind of the main point as well, where if you're trying to get these acts over for the future and gets invested in them, this match did a fantastic job of that. And MJF wins. He doesn't. He's not able to lock in his submission like he has been when he's been dominating other wrestlers. In this one, it was constant pin reversals, and he was only able to just score one over Jungle Boy, which also sets up there, as we said earlier in the show, their future 10-year feud, <laughs> it only builds from here, with no <laughs> definitive wins, really. <laughs> it's just, yes, I'm ready. If this is the quality they're at now, yeah, it's the future is extremely bright. Yeah, these guys have nine years of wrestling experience between them. So, mm-hmm. and, look how good, and look how good they already are. Um, yeah, and, and like you said, I mean, this is not a... Yeah, it's not a five-star match, but it doesn't have to be. This is, these are two guys building towards the future. There was no real stakes coming into this one. There was just like a brief like three-week feud going on. Um, and, you know, the story of the match was basically MGF had hurt Jungle Boy's arm. Jungle Boy had hurt MJF's back. And so neither guy could really get a good advantage at the end. So it was like, you know, trading roll-ups back and forth. And then it's a roll-up with the tights. And so MGF, like you said, escapes with the victory. doesn't really beat Jungle Boy. Oh, and the thing I liked as well was MJF went for that roll-up with the tights, but then Jungle Boy kicked out, and then he himself went for the roll-up with the tights, and then MJF had to counter again with an even more devious <laughs> roll-up, just to show how equal they actually are. The roll-up with the tights didn't work. And, yeah. Yeah, MJF. Yeah, and that's it yeah, and if you, 
And if you look at the replay, he's got MJF actually has Jungle Boy's own hands holding up his own tights. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> uh, yeah, incredible showcase. Perfect, perfect time of their career. Perfect time of the show as well. Uh, it's the, yeah, the future is so bright for AEW. Just to think where they're at now in terms of how they're building for the future so clearly as well. That like the direction it just feels. The world is just feeling more and more alive, and the future is feeling just so more, more and more hopeful as well. That brings us to forty. Oh, I can't remember how old they said he was. I think Lance Archer is forty-two, which makes what he's doing in this. Uh, uh, yeah, which makes what he's doing in this match like just kind of incredible. The amount of athleticism he still has at that age to be able to pull them off seamlessly. Uh, the TNT Championship, uh, Lance Archer joined by Jake the Snake Roberts versus Cody, who's joined by Arn Anderson. Uh, and Mike Tyson was to present the belt to the winner. Mike Tyson was having the time of his life. <laughs> he, was really, he, he, he was on camera, but he never really played to the camera. Case in point, they cut to him at one point and he was just mid-yawn. <laughs> he was just enjoying himself. <laughs> Didn't really care. Uh, the oh, And uh, the... The thing that immediately made me laugh was when uh, we saw Mike Tyson's reaction to Lance Archer coming out and just choke slamming somebody from backstage in the middle of the ring, and Mike Tyson's laugh <laughs> was fantastic. <laughs> He's just like, "Oh damn, he just killed that guy." <laughs> he was so happy. Uh, I thought, and I thought, sadly, that was pretty much the best part of this match. Yeah, like it's once it. I thought they started on a good note with Lance Archer hitting his finisher, and Cody's like, "Oh crap!" and tries to roll out of the ring, and that's how he survives. Like Cody just survives the start. I thought that was a good note. But then kind of like after that and everybody got in, there were sparks of good things. Where like, um, like when Cody went for the disaster kick and when he jumped back, uh, Lance Archer hit him with the pounce. I was like, oh, that was a fantastic spot. But they were kind of oh, like... Oh, that's true. Yeah, that was good too. Like they, was, they were sprinkled in. Like I reckon if um, I brought up a few good spots, then they would you'd be like, oh, yeah, that was good. But it was nothing in between them, really. And it was like, a good thing happened, and then kind of just died down. So I didn't really care as much about the good thing. And what I was talking about, the main event, where it was building momentum to that big thing happening, this match seemed to just keep going on. Like, Cody Rhodes would hit a big move, he'd hit the crossroads, and Lance Archer would kick out. He's like, okay, I know the rhythm of this, where you build it up again, and because it's the first championship match, Cody will at some point hit the crossroads again, and then Lance Archer kicks out again, so Cody just hits it twice or something and wins. And that's almost exactly what happened. They might have cut out one portion of it. But it was one of those where the finish came. And I was like, oh, Cody won. Hmm, that's odd. <laughs> like, uh, Arn Anderson had sold me uh, uh, on the idea of Cody winning uh, in his promo during the week. Where Arn Anderson was talking about how Cody... Uh, this is This is Cody... Uh, kind of showing what he has earned by becoming a leader here in AEW, and this him winning the title cements the fact that that has happened, uh, where he has become a leader here in the AEW roster. Him winning the title is like a uh, like it's a reward for doing that and kind of proving proving that he deserves it. It's yeah, the match itself didn't really live up to that or anything. And on Anderson and Jake the Snake Roberts bit directly leading into the end of the match as well. The bit was interesting, I guess. Uh, but then when Jake the Snake came back out with his bag, which assumably was going to have a snake in it, 
And Mike Tyson's like, if you bring that snake in, I'm going to knock you out. And Jake's like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> just cuddles away. <laughs> and uh, 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 I'm laughing there. I'm assuming that's not the feeling they were going for, for the end of this match. Uh, it's meant to be, I guess, flowing into the next things. And then Cody hits his two finishes and Lance Archer and wins. It just happened. I don't know. I didn't really feel much. When it ended, I was like, oh, it's ended. Not really feeling much towards it. Were you in a similar boat where, even though this stuff happened, you didn't really have that much an investment, really? AEW does so much right that mm. that they got this so wrong hurts me so badly. First of all, as I've said over and over again, this title does not need to exist. It should not exist. There should not be a TNT championship. This company, this company does not need another championship. It does not need another championship now. It won't need another championship in a year. It might need another championship in two or three years, but there's no reason for there to be a mid-card title in that company right now. Secondly, if there's going to be a mid-card title in the company, it shouldn't be held by Cody Rhodes. Cody lost a match, where which meant he, which meant he can't ever wrestle for the heavyweight championship again. Now, at some point, that's not going to be the case. At some point, there's going to be a storyline... And there's going to be a way to get around that. And there's going to be a way for him to actually wrestle for the World Heavyweight Championship. We all know that's the case. We all know that Cody is never did not that there's never going to be a situation where Cody is not going to ever in his career be the AEW World Champion. So this cheapens that effort. Him now being the first ever TNT Champion cheapens that. Um, this is this is the ultimate thing where. As I've been saying for weeks, Cody is not a babyface. Cody is a heel, and yet they book him like a babyface. The crowd reacts to him like he's a babyface. The crowd reacts to him like a hero when he's not a hero at all. He's the villain of every story. Um, and for so I mean, this is like this is like the Million Dollar Man coming in with his championship, or like in Ring of Honor, Matt Taven creating his own Ring of Honor World Championship, or like Booker T creating the Legends title in TNA. This is Cody as an executive using his power. Yeah, he wrestled in a tournament for it, but it's still him as an executive using his power because he wasn't able to wrestle for the world title to make a belt to, get, to give him a chance to wrestle for a title. And not only does he get to wrestle for the title, but he books it so that he wins it. And he said the exact same thing on the show. He said... I need to win this title because I can't win the real title. So this is just a fake championship that looks like a toy. It looks like a completely ridiculous piece of shit because it is. It means nothing. And now he is the shortest ever TNA TN or sorry, the shortest ever TNT champion. And it's just ridiculous. I hate it. I hate that this belt exists. I hate the I hate the the, the way the title looks. I hate that he's the champion. I hate the storyline they booked for him to become the champion. I hate everything about it. There, rant over. <laughs> oh, don't, don't worry. You've got uh, you've got another match later <laughs> to get another <laughs> rant out. <laughs> uh, I mean, the, the match later, I even messaged Zanzo. I'm looking forward to when we get to this one. <laughs> See what happens. We'll get to it when we get to it. Uh, for me... Um, I, the thing I mostly agree with is it's not needed right now. Like I don't really mind that the TNT Championship exists, depending on how it's used. Like depending on who Cody face faces, as if it, if it's specifically used to actually elevate 
uh, I guess other wrestlers to that kind of status where they can challenge for that title with Cody and they can kind of find a good equilibrium for that title where it feels super relevant and people are ed- being elevated to it. If it works like that, then long term I reckon I'll be fine. If it's if it is used as that story uh, where I say where Arn Anderson sold me on Cody winning with the idea of this is him where we are cementing the fact that he has become a leader and we are crowning that. I feel like um, I like that idea, and in this circumstance, I like that. But I, well, I hate that idea. I hate, do... I hate it. I hate. I hate it. That's not his character. He is not a leader. <laughs> he is a complete heel. Watch everything that he does. He is a heel out there. He even he even won the title tonight by cheating. Do you not see that? Oh no! You know, I. Uh... And, I mean, I mean, I mean, Anderson interfered in the match for him, and then Mike Tyson distracted distracted. Um, Lance Archer to, to cause Archer to be Archer to lose. I mean, this was another cheating victory by Cody, and he wins the championship by doing it—a championship that he that he created because he couldn't wrestle for the world title because he was stupid. So I mean, this is just—I I absolutely <laughs> loathe that this title exists. I loathe that Cody holds it. It can. There's nothing good that could ever come of this title exist ever. The the only and, and, reason, and, and and if something and if something does, then I'll take those words back. But no, mm. this this title is absolutely ridiculous. Like, I guess I am hinging on possibilities for the future and how AEW's operated so far. Where I'm kind of thinking like there will be good from this, or Jan is way ahead of the curve. That's <laughs> 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 the other hope as well, <laughs> because they nailed that uh, in like with the Bullet Club is fine storyline, where that slowly built up and then it was. Cody is evil, <laughs> like that thing, where me and Sir Sam, uh, we are just holding out for evil Cody, because evil Cody is so good, and I kind of feel like, if this is sowing the seeds for that, where it's that thing of, he's been, he was evil all along, guys, he doesn't need to tweak anything, really, <laughs> for him to be, like, full-on evil Cody, because he was winning that way anyway, as Jana's kind of pointed out, where he's not really a babyface, even though he's getting the babyface pop. Even though he's treated as, as I guess, the leader of the AEW, I guess, locker room in a way, he comes out with his uh, "I am the king of this kingdom" <laughs> kind of entrance. Uh, where yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, you know, I, I guess as you've been talking, I, I guess I, I'll, I'll, I'll go back on what I said and say that if this becomes a title that Cody is just completely obsessed with, oh, I didn't think and that. He, and he, and 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 like he does everything in his power to keep it, and they start. And it slowly turns into the dark side, and then and then he like holds it for months and months because he won't let anybody because he had all these through all these nefarious means. And when someone finally takes him and means something, then I, then then it, there, that has a chance to be, for the title to mean something at that point. But that's really the only way that I can see this title ever meaning anything. Yeah, because um, again, for me, <sighs> again, for I feel like Cody, if he gives it, I guess, prestige and credence. Again, it's the once he drops it line. <laughs> which is um, in terms of his reign himself I don't really want it to last that long where if he's a he's he's a one of the he's one of the first initial big draws because he's like one of the elite the elite the reason this show even exists and they and having Cody be first champion not the worst thing in the world to add prestige yes, it to is. it but the important thing for me <laughs> is <laughs> The important for me is like who he drops it to, how he drops it, what is his reign like. It's like when he drops it, what's what has been made of the title then? Like what level is it at that point? What does it actually represent? And because if it is kind of taken as like Cody's title and he wrestles high up the card, 
like he always has. And he continued build. He continued presenting in the exact same way, like as Jan's pointing out, where he's not really a baby face, but you present him in the exact same way with no change. And it's kind of like, hmm. The only kind of the big hope I've got is AEW have at least shown quite a lot of promise in. That's not really they don't tell storylines simply. Uh, but uh, my other question is, when it comes to themselves, how definitively can they actually assess from that distance? To actually see, actually long term, this should be a slow heel turn that's playing out. As in, Hangman Page has been a slow heel turn. This is like uh, with Jan's keen eye. Oh my god, right, he he's, he's not wrestling as a big face. Hangman <laughs> Page is not a heel. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I was saying earlier. That's what the, that's what the oh, announcers yeah. are saying. But uh, that's what the announcers are saying. But Hangman Page has not done one single heelish thing at all. I <laughs> see. That's my uh, when I say turn, I mean turn on the elite, not okay. heel turn. Which is it's, okay. a, it's a narrative turn, like because I think I said it um, when I was previewing the show that it makes a lot of my heating's turning on. It's that uh, late, <laughs> the it's good, <laughs> morning heating, but the um, like with the elite storyline, like it makes a lot of sense. Where in terms of wrestling, kind of mirroring, I guess the other entertainment worlds, like with the cartoony Hogan era, with what WWF were doing, it, that it was like the superhero coming out and winning. That's kind of what that represented the TV world around it. Now the TV world around it, you get things like Netflix, where it's like 10 episodes where characters are really fleshed out and it's one story. It's less of the, like the new shows coming out that are not on like cable TV in America. Uh, There's less of that like procedural thing where stories introduced and by the end, everything's wrapped up. Like there's a lot more of that uh, 10 episodes, like fleshing out of everything. So you get a lot more of that slower pace. You get a lot more of the slower build. It makes sense then in the wrestling world to have wrestling storylines mirror that. Like that's what us, us as like what us as viewers. That's what we are more used to now. Is that slower pace, that slower build and unravel. That's not. And WWE are still stuck in that like procedural. By the episode, everything's wrapped up. Move on to the next thing. But AEW with Hangman. Well, I think the thing, the thing that really sells it me with Hangman is. If it's a rivalry between him and Matt Jackson, neither of them are 100% in the right. And and it makes sense where they would both be pissed at each other. So when they when Hammond splits from the elite and you get the feud going, neither of them are heels. <laughs> Which is right. But they can feud with each other because you set up the characters. It makes sense that the characters would have tension with each other. That doesn't necessarily mean that either one is the bad guy. It's just characters that don't get along. And again, there is that tension. But that's why kind of doing the long build really does work. And it just sucks that you don't see it in WWE. But Hangman Page's story and arc is a fantastic example of that long, long-term long storytelling working. But if you compressed his angle, it would just feel like a heel turn. And you, they would probably end up leaning into it. When the way they're doing it here, it will be totally understandable when he splits from the Elite. Because they've shown you the tensions. They've shown you the reason why him... At times trying to blend in there, and then at times like sod it and giving up, or he'll come out and help, but he's not happy about it. It's like, oh, it's just there's so much to it. I love it. <laughs> it's just, or, I mean, it's, it's or, just hard to do it. Or if there's a swerve and he's not the one that leaves the elite, then it'll be it'll mean so much more too. Yeah. I've, oh, and he was like, no, look, I was loyal all along, and it's Cody, <laughs> evil Cody. <laughs> it all wraps up. It all or, joins. <laughs> or Nick. <laughs> Nick's too. We can't have an evil Nick. <laughs> that doesn't work. <laughs> uh, 
Can you have Evil Kenny? I don't know. I mean, you've had you've seen him in uh, New Japan, but against the Elite, would Evil Kenny work? Hmm. Hmm. Unless Kenny says he's doing it for the Elite when he kicks him out, and Matt and Nick Jackson aren't happy with it. Hmm. Oh, again, I... proof the storyline is good. I'm coming up with other roads, and I like. I don't mind if they don't happen, <laughs> which is because I like the way the story's already going. Uh, just the Building friction, I guess is a better way to put it. Tensions and friction, rather than just, I'm the baddie now. Okay. <laughs> just, oh, cool, I guess you're coming out in black and with a new twang to your theme. But yeah. Right. Yeah. It's fair to say, neither of us were really super pleased with this title match, because we've gone straight back to how great Hangman Page is. <laughs> just, just <laughs> um, the final comment is the title itself. Um, how it currently looks, hmm... Not great. Uh, there is, it has been, I can't remember who, believed, I think Tony Giovanni said, uh, it is going to be gold and red, but they can't get the gold done, so this is the unfinished title, which is also quite funny, because that means that they've built, built up a tournament for somebody to win a title that's not finished, because they couldn't get it done because <laughs> of the lockdown, so they weren't able to get the gold plating done. So oh, I didn't I didn't hear him say that, so, yeah. you know, I, I think they tried to make it look like the old WCW TV championship, but it's it came across like really looking like a toy tin piece of shit. Well, the so. two comparisons I saw were the NWA. Oh, did they have a TV title? Am I being stupid? They did. They did. Was that red? Yeah, it was silver and red. Yeah, yeah. So I saw that one, and the other one was the Toy McDonald's Wrestling Championship. <laughs> so they were the two comparisons I saw. <laughs> You put those two together, <laughs> and then you get the TNT Championship. Opposite ends of wrestling prestige, I'll be honest. <laughs> it's just, uh, I don't quite think the McDonald's Championship kind of got the light it deserved. <laughs> it's just, I, did, did, I didn't even know there was one. <laughs> I think it's just a toy. <laughs> that was never really a genuine thing. Uh, but someone brought up the NWA title, and then someone else just like, I mean, it does look like the McDonald's one as well. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, anyway, we've got... Uh, Two more matches to talk about. Well, we've not really talked about the Women's Championship before it either, but we'll get on with the bloody next one. Uh, Penelope Ford with a battered and bruised Kip Sabin with crutches and bandages all around him. That was fantastic. Versus Chris Stanler. Chris Stanler. Chris Statlander. And my quick review for this one is another solid mid-card match. Just, again, like MJF um, versus Jungle Boy. For me, it was showcasing two young talents who have obviously got a lot of potential, and they had a solid match. Didn't need to be anything more than that. Wasn't anything less. Bravo. Just... Agreed. Yeah, I mean, it, it was exactly what you just said. I mean, I think this could have been another a blockbuster if it had been Brooke, um, or I'm sorry, uh, been Chelsea Baker out there, along with um, hmm. Statlander. But but since she was injured and Ford had to fill in, I mean, I think Ford's very good. But I also think that she's that she just hasn't had enough experience to be able to be sensational yet. And plus, there wasn't that personal thing. There would have been oh, if Baker had been able to be out there. So I, I th- so I, what could have been, I think, an outstanding match ended up being a solid mid card match, which is perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do I do wonder why they kept this match on the card. Like I mean, I don't I don't understand, you know, why if, if this match couldn't be the match they planned. Why not move this one to the buy-in and then put the number one contender tag match on the actual card since there wasn't a tag match on the actual card? You know, um, I would say after, after watching the matches, it 
this one belonged on the card more than tag match in terms of quality, I think. Okay. Because Pirate Party were a bit rusty. Because they're, they're Pirate Party in that similar position where they've obviously got potential, just lacking that experience and that sh- and a kind of shine and uh, kind of smoothness to everything that they're doing, which obviously just comes with experience. And yeah, these two are obviously in that similar boat where just getting the experience is the thing because they're clearly really good. <laughs> they've clearly got the uh, words to finish Matthew's sentence. <laughs> they've clearly got the uh, talent. The goods. But, yeah, the goods, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and... Yeah, it's a it, yeah, it was a solid match, and they, as far as I know, there weren't many botches either. Which again, for the style of match they went for, was pretty impressive. Uh, as in, they were like reverse runners and I want to say destroyers, and uh, the uh, Big Bang Theory pile driver thing that Chris Statlander does as well. It all looked devastating, and all was sold pretty well. Yeah, thumbs up. Good match. Yeah, you know, you know, Penelope Ford, like, and and I and I and I. Penelope Ford reminds me of like a lot of early Trish Stratus, but I think that she's mm. that she's got more potential in the Stratus is like athletically and and just uh, in terms of like you know youth on her side. So I think that she's going to be you know like a really really strong performer in a couple of years. Oh yeah, definitely. Mm. Statlander to me is the number is the second best woman in the promotion, right behind the one that won the world title tonight, Sheeta. So I'm really looking forward to those two. Facing off, hopefully at all out in a in another blockbuster women's. And then you put Britt Baker match. in there as well. You've got a, and and to be fair, Nyla Rose who kicked ass against the Karashita too. Like you've got actually quite a decent women's title scene immediately with the future of people in like Penelope Ford and Big Swole being built up in the background for the future of the division. Yeah, yeah things are looking good again. A this what, a bit of what, time what, what, building up. Don't forget they have Riho too. It's just that Riho hasn't been able to back, oh, be back in the country because of the. Uh, and, you know, and, she, and she was outstanding as the first champion, too. So yeah, They've got that depth now. It's building. It's, it's the thing where um, with New Japan, where... Yes, talking about New Japan again. When uh, there was the exodus of all the elite guys, and you saw lots of comments of, oh, New Japan's dead now. That's it. They're, they're done. Wrestle Kingdom won't have anything to it next year. Obviously, we saw what Wrestle Kingdom was, and they bloody had something to it. Like, surprise, surprise, you take a year putting the pieces together, figuring things out, building up your characters and your stars, suddenly, within a year's time, you've got a lot of depth. And I get a similar feeling with AEW. They're spending their time building up everybody. So within one year... like Compared to Double or Nothing last year to Double or Nothing now, into all the different divisions, they've grown a lot within the first year. And just to think about, like from, again, one more year, just doing the same thing... Like that division is going to get more and more fleshed out, feel more and more alive, and they're they're nailing it so far. It's just that slow, gradual build where it feels like there's more and more depth to each division of the roster. Yeah, absolutely, and and you know, let's not forget that they also they also have as part of their women's division another woman who has not been able to be back in the country for months, but due to the COVID stuff, but is but is one of the best women's wrestlers on the planet in B Priestley. So oh, they have they, they do have a very very deep women's division, and the last time we saw Priestley, she was attacking both Cheetah and Rose. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean they're gonna they're also gonna need to reintroduce her and build her back up. But I mean she's right there in that in that same like five or six woman mix for that for the the top of the of that women's division too. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> this yeah that that division is yeah, very very hopeful and positive about the future of it especially now looking at the quality of these two matches on the main card. From that, we go to, oh yes, 
So after, surprisingly, having nothing but positive words on Dynamite After Dark, just like, oh, I actually enjoyed his new segment. I thought it was really good. We then jump (laughs) (laughs) to a match where I think it's fair to say Sean Spears is not going to feel like a credible threat of a heel for quite a bit of time. (laughs) He is, yes. Down the totem pole, he slid quite far on this pay-per-view. Uh, have you got any words for whatever this was? Yes, the, my words are, this is exactly how Sean Spears should be used. <laughs> <laughs> Only Jan walked out of this segment going, yes, perfect future source. Because <laughs> Sean, Sean, Sean Spears should be used to put over a 30-year veteran that needs, that needs the assistance. <laughs> <laughs> Just... Because when it started, I was like, he's come out in his suit, and I was like, oh, he's continuing the news thing. I really enjoyed the news thing last week, and he does the normal co- uh, cocky heel standard stuff. It's like, again, this still fits with what he's doing. It's fine. And then uh, the, then the match happened. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is definitely weird. Why am I staring at Sean Spears' butt? <laughs> What's happening? Why has he got Tully Blanchard's face on the part of the pants normally where it's got the hole for your penis to go? <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> Why is this so weird? Oh, it was... Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but you know, it was actually the second. I I have to be honest. Like this this was the second straight time in this. This is the second second time this week, second straight Sean Spears appearance that I got new appreciation for him because, you know, it was a great segment on Wednesday night, and then tonight, you know, he showed a complete lack of taking himself too seriously. You know, he showed he showed a complete lack. You know, he, he was he was perfectly willing to give himself up for the segment by. You know, showing his ass by having Tully Blanchard on his tights. You know, he was willing to go with it for his company, and that's you know, being a great company man is something. There's something to be said for that too. So, you know, not too many guys would have, would have I think would have gone out there and done that kind of stuff See, that's in the, the in this in the situation, and especially like on a on a thing that was booked three days in advance. Oh, that's you know? true, yeah. Because um, like I think that maybe the one thing that his character was lacking where. He was uh, the character of the chairman was just a bit too serious. There wasn't really much wiggle room with it. Uh, so when he's done with Cody, it's kind of like, well, what do you do now? Because he's such a super serious character. But I kind of like the idea as well, where his obsession with Cody's just driven him to his to this point. Like it, it fits as well, where he's been a downward spiral because of Cody. It's all Cody's fault, and he can immediately keep being angry at Cody. It's all his fault that this has happened. So yes. Yeah, I think they, I think they've been trying to find a thread with that for the last several weeks, with you know, with the with the betting on the matches mm. and and all that kind of stuff, and like owing money to MJF and mm. you know all that stuff. But I think I think they've really nailed something with the last couple of times now. So yeah. So I mean, hopefully, I mean, it's it's not. I'm never. I'm I'm always willing to change my mind on somebody and start liking them, but I ju- I just have never seen anything in Sean Spears. So, you know, that's just, that's just me. <laughs> I think in terms of his AEW like character, the time that I generally thought, oh, they might be onto something here, I think it was like Fighter Fest or one of those ones. But it was the same location as this pay per view. It was in a tag match, and it was, I can't remember who else was in it, but I just remember that tag match. Like every character interacted perfectly in it, and it was such a dream. And of course, at that time, MJF was still best friends with Cody. And he was pissed at, and he was teaming with Sean Spears, and there was that animosity between them on the same team. And that match, I thought, was fantastic. It was great, and I thought Sean Spears, with his character, fit in the world, and it just the world felt alive. And it was a really, really, it was a good match as well. On top of it, 
but his character seemed to fit and have substance to it. But then when he lost at All In, and then after All In, like from there, it just wasn't really much to him, and he's kind of been floundering since. So I think it was like a one month period where I was like, they might be on something here. And then, like, oh, wait, no, they're not, no. <laughs> Cody wins, and now there's not really much to do him. Uh, but they could be on something here with him not taking himself too seriously. So, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, and they could have, you know, they could have easily, like, had something really come from that tag team storyline they were doing too, but that mm. didn't, but that seemed like to be very sporadic, and then they seemed to like completely have dropped that now with the with the stuff going on with COVID and totally Blanchard not being able to be around. So mm. who knows if they'll pick that back up or not, but I mean, I think that could have been interesting if they had somebody in mind to be his partner. Who knows? Yeah, so. uh, especially if it was a, well, one reason could be they were maybe going to go with a worldwide person, and Obviously, that's never going to happen. So, it, yeah, kind of sucks yeah. a little bit. Uh, so, and the final match that to kind of talk about a little bit, the AEW Women's Championship, Nyla Rose versus Hikaru Shida. Uh, this match was an amazing brawl all over the open casino decorated area. Uh, Nyla Rose setting the stage with uh, Hikaru Shida's uh, kendo stick. Uh, Nyla Rose has got one of the best catchphrases in wrestling of I break bitches and then she comes in and yep. whacks you with a kendo stick <laughs> it's like ah oh, yes <laughs> love it <laughs> oops uh, and this this match was Nyla Rose just trying to do that <laughs> to Karajida who herself brought the fight and got more and more into the match as it went on yeah this again we've already said earlier this was our in-ring match of the night uh fantastic about both again that end point where I didn't mind whichever woman won because they nailed it so much uh winning for me was the perfect note as well uh, but the fact they just brawled all over as well like they outdid John Moxley at a John Moxley match <laughs> like just it was genuinely fantastic brawl all over utilizing whatever they could find all around them and uh, back into the ring then you get your big table spots you get your heavy kendo stick shots you get a Karashida with her, her big running knee trying to knock her, her da- knock Nyla Rose down. Nyla Rose with her awesome uh, powerbomb moves as well. Just like, well, that's got to be it. <laughs> kind of just so much yep. force. Uh, the the move that especially got me was the Avalanche Falcon Arrow off the top by uh, Karashida to Nyla Rose. I thought that that was fantastic. <laughs> just this match, it built so well. If, if I'm going to recommend just one of the singles matches... For you to watch, I, I'd probably recommend this one over all the rest on this show. Yeah, just well yeah, done. Yeah, that, yeah, absolutely. That, that that Falcons match, that Falcons arrow spot you're talking about. When she started climbing to the top, I was like, "Oh no, this is gonna this is gonna end with a beast bomb from the top rope, isn't it?" <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, I th- because you know that's the perfect that's the position that Nyla Rose is sitting in, and then um, she hits her, throws the actually doesn't even, doesn't even hit her with the candlestick, throws the candlestick at her. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 it like it like distracts Rose and she comes up and and I thought like Rose was gonna like hit her and then turn it into the beast bomb but no she actually got her up all the way and and you know she had done this on Dynamite I think last week where she had suplexed her in through a table but tonight she turns she, she turns it into the Falcon Arrow from the top and then pretty much had the match from that point on um, you know a couple of spots I thought were fantastic were on the outside where. Um, they were fighting about who could suplex each other onto the poker, one of the poker chips set up. And Sheeta actually ended up getting a, a leverage move into a hip toss and threw Rose onto that poker chip. And then as she was getting, and then as Rose was kind of getting up, she, she, she jumped from the ring apron onto the poker chip and did a, did a rising knee strike to her. 
And then as Rose was getting back on the on the ring apron, Sheeta followed her up with her kendo stick, and she said, "I found my kendo stick, bitch." <laughs> which which is great payback for two weeks ago. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I thought, I thought, that's right. I, mean, I thought I thought that even though this, these guys are, I mean, they they have been they've had a few matches over the in tag matches, especially over the last couple of weeks or the last uh, couple of months, but. I thought, especially for the last couple of weeks, they did some nice callbacks in this one. Yeah, and that, that's something AEW have excelled at, where they'll have something happening in the build-up to it, and then when the match happens itself, suddenly it turns out, yep, all of those things, they still happened, and they were brought up in this match, because that's what the two characters have obviously lived through these past few weeks. And uh, Akari Shida fighting back over Nyla Rose uh, with a an- another amazing ending as well, where she hits the running knee. That's why Karachi has been winning with the entire time, and Nyla Rose kicks out. It's kind of like, oh crap, what do I do now? That's why we got the elevation of everything, followed up by a final running knee, and Karachi got the win. And like everybody seemed to be rejoicing. I've not seen a single negative comment about this match. So, and yeah. and, I, and I guess I guess this is something that just dawned on me just now. But and and now in the in the two you know the two top promotions in the United States of America. The mm. two the women's champions are both Japanese. Ah, oh, that's a shout. Oh, yeah. Mm. And uh, apparently as well, uh, Karashida was pretty shaken up over um, uh, Hannah Kimura over this uh, week, uh, weekend as well. And you could see that emotion just pouring out after she won, uh, which kind of just, in a way kind of added to it. And she... It, it, yeah, it also... Of course, in the story of the match as well, it adds that the commentators were selling it as it meant a lot to... Uh, and that was really the outpouring of emotion uh, but uh, also one final point would be the outfit she was wearing uh, is a Final Fantasy 7 reference uh, with the outfit of Tifa where I was like I recognise that outfit but because I'm not a Final Fantasy person I didn't really recognise it and as soon as I saw it I was like oh yes it's the woman from that game I've not played yes that's why I recognise it but couldn't place it <laughs> it suddenly makes all the sense in the world uh, yeah but that outpouring of emotion it um it felt like it that was felt on Twitter at the same time as well. So that was like yeah, a nice moment. Yeah. yeah, I'm not a Final Fantasy person either, but I do know that she's known for her cosplay, so it doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah. <laughs> I hope that somebody would cosplay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, that brings us to the end. Just shy of two hours, which for us I think is pretty short. <laughs> so well done, us. Um, but we did it. Yeah, we did, did it. it, yeah. Well, but the thing that doesn't help either is because these are like once every quarter, like we 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 don't do any shows together, and then once every quarter, it's just just like blah, <laughs> everything comes out in one show, uh, and they end up going quite long more often than not. So two hours yeah. is the thing, uh, and yeah, I think this yeah, I think actually the first time this is the first time we got together since Wrestle Kingdom, so it's been actually yes four. Almost, actually, over five months now for us, I think. Yeah. So it would have been the yeah, fourth and fifth of January, which is like, and yeah. Jeff was with us. Right. <laughs> <Which> is, uh, <laughs> it was that long ago. <laughs> um, uh, obviously, for me as a UK person, it's nowhere near as big as an investment where I'm paying like fifteen, fourteen pounds for my uh, <laughs> for my uh, viewing of Double or Nothing. It's like, yeah, it's not really that big of an investment for me. Uh, Bajan, it's a genuine assessment of how things are going and, and everything before concluding that do or nothing or, or different pay per views can be watched because uh, the price is so high in America. Oh God, oh, <laughs> why is it so? Yeah, high? you know, it's, you know, interestingly, they announced tonight 
all out for September 5th, but they yes. did not announce where it's going to be yet. So, oh, oh, cool. so, so, so if it's in Chicago oh. again, I plan to be mm. there. Yeah, I just assumed it was but going to be Chicago. I don't think it's going to be in Chicago. Mm. But the governor of Chicago has, has made a, has made a ruling that there there will not be any events of more than fifty people in Chicago, or actually in the state of Illinois, until there's a vaccine. So I really don't think mm. there. Well, actually, it's until there's a vaccine, or there is, or there have been no more deaths, period, from the COVID virus. So <clears throat> I really don't think mm. it's going to be in Chicago this year, which is which is too bad, considering that's the tradition. You know, yeah, all of that points to like you're looking at next year, possibly, <laughs> and it's a possibly because right. who knows how long it will take. And the, yeah, obviously, in terms of like being wrestling fans and kind of wanting to things to go back to normal, yes, that sucks in that capacity. But like in reality, wrestling's not important. Wrestling's not essential. Like if we. It would suck for a bit, but we'd find ways to entertain ourselves without the wrestling. It, yes, it, it does. It is it is a weird kind of era where you're just waiting for it to end. Uh, the bright side is AEW's format fits this era relatively well. Dynamite's easy to watch. The pay-per-view was damn easy to watch. This absolutely flew by, and it was longer than anything WWE's put over uh, put out. This was a like this was a normal length of like a four hour extremely long AW pay per view. It just flew by. I didn't care how long it was, which like it's just a testament to how well their format fits this kind of uh, like the MTV Arena product. It's seemingly fine. I don't really mind compared to WWE where I feel the silence. So it makes sense that they have a shorter pay per view thing now. Yeah, AW, yeah, perfectly fine for the longer one. Doesn't hurt. It's only once every quarter, but. Uh, yeah, because this was their first pay view of the lockdown era. Because Revolution was the month before, which yep. is great. That feels like it was ages ago, <clears throat> but it wasn't. <laughs> it was like three months. Ugh. Well, no, no, it, right. It was only a couple months ago, but it was the, it was an entirely different world at that time. Too. Yes, it was. Yes, <laughs> that's a good way of putting it. Uh, yeah. So yeah, it looks like we'll be once again looking at an empty arena show for AW uh, All In wherever it is. Of course, who knows how things have moved on since then, because it's quite, with it being every quarter, it's quite a long time between each one, and things are changing every day, never mind like three, four months from now. So, who knows what will happen, uh, but maybe we'll have a show to cover or whatever. Um, yeah, we're ta- yeah, we're talking about we're talking about three months and 11 days from now. So Yeah, where like in this world, that is like a lifetime. Because, <laughs> again, time's a vortex, and things are changing so rapidly that it's really difficult to remember what's happened on what day, and you just kind of get a bit confused. <laughs> this is just, and then last year starts to feel weird as well because they're like, "God, that feels like it was ages ago," but it wasn't. It was just a few months. <laughs> it's so, yeah, it's it's all getting difficult to definitely keep on top of. But anyway, uh, thank you for listening to this. Thank you if you are still listening for some reason at this point. Uh, you, can, <laughs> you can follow me on Twitter at the damn implicate. You can follow Jan on Twitter at. Zaman LOP. You can hear Jan on the shows. On Monday, we will be doing Kingdom of Honor. We're talking about. I'm sorry, don't. That's Tuesday. I lied. Tuesday, Kingdom of Honor. Uh, last time, last time we were doing the show, we last time we did the show, we were doing still doing shows on Mondays. So that's yes, how long yeah. it's been. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> we're doing a Tuesday night Kingdom of Honor. We'll be talking about Turning Point 2005 for Impact, um, or TNA at that time. And then on Wednesday, we'll be back with you with uh, more. Dynamite After Dark talking about uh, 
this show tonight, and then also what's going. We're actually doing a live broadcast during Dynamite this week. Yes, yeah, so a live watch along if you're up for it. I'm going to be. I'm. I'm going to be sleeping. <laughs> I'm, I'm. I don't watch Dynamite live. <laughs> I'm not crazy. Um, the so. Also, the uh, previous episode of Kingdom of Honor is live on the uh, LOP YouTube channel for Genesis 2005. So you've got access to Genesis 2005. You've got a nice little piece to go along with it as well. And, uh, yeah, Dynamite After Dark, you already plugged that. I have had to write down in my notes a Tuesday night's Kingdom of Honor because I kept saying Monday. <laughs> I finally stopped. <laughs> I've written down in front of me so I'm reading a script <laughs> so I can never forget it. Yeah, so 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 if anybody out there wants to do wants to do LOP radio and wants to cover Monday Night Raw and SmackDown for us, you certainly can. Just let us know. Yeah, hit hit, hit us up on Twitter uh, at at the damn Implicat and at Zaman LOP because uh, we're not crazy enough to do it, and no one on Lords of Pain in terms of like all the other economists we talk to and all the uh, different people in the forums, no one's willing to take that kind of punishment. <laughs> like nobody wants to do it. <laughs> When you look at the columns for this past week, that they're all AEW. There hasn't been a single WWE column, I guess, aside from Tito, who might have mentioned it in one of his topics, because he does multiple topics, so he's more likely to cover it. That says right. something. Like even the Doc returned this week with a column on AEW. Uh, so Sam with a list for AEW as well. It's just like, yeah, it's uh, that's grabbing people's attention, and people are happy and invested in AEW with WWE, like. Not even watching it, so can't you can't write about it if you're not watching it, which uh, makes a massive point. But if you're crazy enough, <laughs> and you want to cover Raw and SmackDown, it'll be great for the channel because people there's people out there who do just no one at Laws of Pain, uh, pe- no one Steve, who analyzes it. Steve, come back! <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, I still find it crazy how it's ended up with me doing this where we both had thunderstorms on the other sides of the world and I ended up covering for him whilst my sky was flashing bright, bright white at like four in the morning. And right. He lost internet. It's like, oh, it's a crazy story. <laughs> Baptism by fire doing Aftershock. <laughs> I think to say. A pay-per-view I hadn't really watched during a thunderstorm. Oh, best Aftershock ever. <laughs> Just top notch. Um, so I'm live every Thursday with Imps LOP Radio Adventure. I think on YouTube I just call it Imps LOP Live or something like that, so it doesn't take up as many words. Uh, this past Thursday I tried out doing video for the first time. It takes there's so much crap around here that it takes so much kind of work to set that up that I might try to keep practicing that for Thursdays. Uh, let's not get ahead of ourselves and do it at 4 a.m. in an aftershock. <laughs> I'm still struggling at my earlier time. Let's wait till I've got that figured out. And of course, I was in like blurry 360p. So it'd be nice if I could figure out how to not be that. <laughs> so let's see how that goes. Uh, Fridays is the the other shows here on LP Radio. Fridays is currently the WWF The Legacy Series, uh, which is seemingly extremely popular right now, which is uh, awesome to see that one uh, taking off again. Uh, they've returned to continue with that story. They're currently working through Saturday night main events. I can't remember which show they're building to next, but they'll get to it at some point <laughs> whatever show it was they're, they're, they're building to Wrestlemania 4 Wrestlemania 4 oh. Oh. I wasn't obviously I can't reminisce him being alive back then but I know what it's building to and I'm interested to see how they actually take it 
Because WrestleMania 4 is filled with a lot of really short matches and a lot of interference and things. <laughs> Sorry, it's, a, it's an interesting WrestleMania. It's a long, long card full of very short matches. Yes. <laughs> That's a <laughs> like when uh, WrestleMania um, for last year came out, we saw the amount of matches that people brought up the those WrestleManias as an example. It's like, are these matches going to be really short, or is WrestleMania going to be really long? Turns out it was really long. <laughs> Sorry, it's still an issue today. Uh, but yes, WWF the Legacy Series, essentially an unabridged look over the tenure of the WWF, all the way from WrestleMania 1 to, I think they are planning to do WrestleMania 19, but that might just be a very smart idea to keep it open-ended. Because <laughs> that's a really long, if they're doing it unabridged, that's a crazy amount of time and stuff to cover. So it uh, gives them a lot of time to work through it. Well, you know they 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 can't keep it, they can't go past that because they're they're covering the WWF the legacy. They're not doing WWE the legacy series. Oh yeah, uh, so I'm, they're stopping with they're stopping when WWF stops. Yeah, I was just thinking, will they ever finish the legacy series <laughs> if it's that amount <laughs> amount of work? It's a, it's a genius idea because there's so much content, and eventually you'll hit Raw, and then Raw and SmackDown. <laughs> have to watch those as well uh, in those final years might take quite a long time. I don't think they'll do that. They, they didn't watch the Nitros for WCW, so I don't think unless I think unless there's like a big event, they're not going to watch Raw or SmackDown. Ah, okay. So not quite this level they're currently doing. With, it's right. more sparse in the, the Hogan era, so it's a right. bit easier to do. Uh, Saturday's reserved for AEW Aftershock, Sunday WWE's Aftershocks, Tuesday Kingdom of Honor, and then you're back with me. I've already plugged all this. Also on the channel on LawsOfPain.net. I'll try this one again. On the Laws of Pain YouTube channel, we've also got the All Night Long Wrestling Podcast, which is bringing us uh, interviews with various wrestlers and people who associate with wrestling, uh, and straight-up coverage like we're doing here. And there's the Quick and the Painless po- uh, Wrestling Podcast as well. I can't say that pro wrestling at 10 past 7 in the morning, for some reason. <laughs> Matt does not want to say that. Uh, which is also up on the NOP YouTube channel as well. Thank you for listening. Uh, with that, Jean-Man says... Long days, pleasant nights, and Imp says, I'm going to bed. <laughs> it's a first time in the morning. Uh, with that, I say thank you for listening. Uh, yeah, for the people on YouTube, like, subscribe. That people on the podcast, rate it five stars on whatever thing you're listening to. Uh, I mean, iTunes is the one that really helps us, but most people don't listen. Most people listen on something else, so rate it on whatever you're listening to. So, yeah. Uh, oh, the chat, the blooming, blooming chat. <laughs> Before we sign off, we are live on YouTube. Uh, so, uh, a different YouTube channel where Jenny from New York said, uh, MJF is the best heel in AEW. Uh, Matthew Gillignow, who's posted, I've butchered that name. I can't say pro wrestling. Cody, no, 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 no. Cody is the best heel in AEW. Cody is the best AEW. Uh, so, uh, Matthew feels like it is Pac. What do uh, we think? Pac's promo this week was really good, putting over Phoenix. Like, just a shame that, yes, uh, that is UK bias, obviously. He's <laughs> being English. Uh, so do you think it was Cody? <laughs> it just, he's so good at it. You don't. People are cheering him. He's the best. Yeah, he's, <laughs> <laughs> he's he's so subtle, you know. Um, no, yeah, I, I yeah. Phoenix being injured was a big disappointment for me. I'm, Phoenix, I'm is my guy. Mm. So. so, so I think who is my definite favorite heel currently in AW? I mean, the one it that really I'm, probably it really probably is Pac to me. Yeah. So. Pack's amazing. Uh, MJF is also amazing. I guess the one I've been enjoying the most regularly on television each week has recently been Britt Baker. Because I, I, she's just been so entertaining. Because coming into her own as the role model 
which is nothing to do with Bailey. The only similarity I, I don't, whenever I've seen it, I just kind of feel like, well, I guess on the surface, if you don't look at the context of either performer, because Bailey's not really doing "I'm a role model" gimmick, <laughs> so it's a bit odd. Whilst Bit Baker's properly leaning in a different direction, like it's and on- and, and, and and isn't it amazing that you know I that Chelsea Baker's in the women's division? she's which has been the best part of AEW for now four streaks four weeks running yeah and it kind of leads itself to that I would say as well that Pac and MJF are both absolutely fantastic and it's kind of been like I'm just it's more like specifically these past few weeks Britt Baker's really been the thing that's been entertaining me the most each and Mm -hmm. every single week Uh, I think she's absolutely brilliant uh, but MJF and Pac both also get reactions out of me every time. Just like we don't see Pac right now. We're not seeing him, and that sucks. Uh, it's just having to cut promos from rainy Newcastle. Which is not the same as <laughs> being there to taunt somebody and call them a bastard or something. Or whatever insult yeah, he I, 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 you know, I, it's just, I, I also want to throw this out, that depending on the week and how bad he is, JR is a pretty good heel, too. <laughs> well, uh, he... <laughs> He knows, nowadays he seems to know there are lines he shouldn't cross, but he doesn't quite know what they are, so he's being overly cautious. He's <laughs> just like, when he's starting prefacing well, well, statements. Well, well one, line, one, one line he should definitely stop crossing every week is calling Jungle Boy, Jungle Boy Jack. Oh, he's calling him Jungle Boy Jack, yeah. <laughs> just, uh, I mean, I don't know if it's the worst thing in the world to just uh, calling him Jack Perry. Just so that when he maybe possibly moves past the Jungle Boy gimmick, when he's like, again, we're talking about five, ten years from now, when he moves past it a little bit, uh, would he be Jungle Boy forever? What what happens when he turns into a man? Would it be Jungle Man? What? Well, that's what. <laughs> well, yeah, but that's what that's what that's what what Jr. says. But at the same time, you don't do that with any other character. You don't say Lucha. You don't say like Luchasaurus Matt Rivera or whatever the hell his name is. You know. Awesome. You... <laughs> so he is a dinosaur. <laughs> he is a natural dinosaur. <laughs> Oh, I didn't realize that. Okay. Yeah, have you not bad. seen his Twitter? <laughs> He's a German dinosaur. He knows other dinosaurs. <laughs> How else would he know other dinosaurs? <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, with that, uh, Samuel's already signed off and then I remembered about the chat, so he's kicked up all over again. <laughs> anyway, uh, I'll be back on Thursday. Jen will be back on both Tuesday and Wednesday. So with that, I bid you adieu. Jen's already said goodbye. I can say goodbye myself. <laughs> with that, I bid you adieu. Adios. Oh.